Welcome to November 24th, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is Richmond Coliseum in Richmond Township, Ohio. It is the Survivor Series. There's not a lot to say. There's not a lot of ground to be laid for an episode like this. It's four matches in two and a half hours. It's every talent Almost imaginable gets to be on card. It's all the narratives, all the talk, all the things being said, boiling over into five on five, ten people, ten tag teams. Ladies and gentlemen, this Survivor Series. Next up, Royal Rumble. There's a lot of these kind of shows right now. It's half of the big four. What you're going to see, though, is that there are some emerging talents to be excited about. There are some folks to get excited about, not just for 1988, but into and through the 90s that you will see on this show. Andre the Giant has gone his own way. The Mega Powers have gone another way. There are new feuds, maybe not with the sustained power, but they're getting recognition. A lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts. We'll get into it all, ladies and gentlemen, the hype. Is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host. By God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. We are indeed to the second annual edition of Survivor Series. The first, well, the second of the big four beyond WrestleMania to get another edition to establish itself, to figure out what it is. We have got 50, count them, 50 wrestlers on deck. We got some great favorites here. We're going to talk about the WWF Legacy Series debut of Owen Hart, which we are very excited about. We're going to be talking about Brainbusters, Demolition, The Rockers are here now, The Powers of Pain, Mr. Perfect is here. We got a lot of people showing up for the first time here. I'm very excited about some of these people. I'm very hyped to talk about this card. I think it's going to be a very good time. It's mind-blowing to me, the new energy, the good energy. You, you kind of laid it all out there from uh, Blue Blazer, who was just amazing from the beginning. So I always knew Owen Hart, talent-wise, is a little bit better than uh, – someone who he's closely related to in history. But what I have learned is early Owen Hart is far better than not said person in their <laughs> early parts of their career. Owen Hart, man, pops here. Mr. Perfect pops here. Shawn Michaels, the Rockers, the Brain Busters. Oh, man, it's like how in the world are we getting all of this new stuff that almost feels like another promotion, and yet we still have the core and best of best of what we already had? Yeah, we're seeing a real um, uh, combination of goods at this point. We, we are really seeing the cutting edge of the new era, and yet we are still steep deeply in that classic era that we've been praising for the last, um, well, since we started it practically. <laughs> So how are you feeling right now? I mean, what is because this is one of the few shows I'm I'm coming in with like zero set narratives. You know, so whether just talking about Survivor Series or talking about where we are kind of going forward and where we're coming from, like what's standing out to you right now? 
I mean, coming in, I'm always excited about Survivor Series. It's um, a little bit like the Rumble in that I just like the format, especially in this era when it's just a little bit different than what you would actually see if you were watching, you know, the weekly shows. You would never see so many big names in one place. Uh, I'm excited because we get the second and uh, unfortunately last for a long time uh, tag team Survivor Series match where you get uh, the apron so crowded you can barely see inside the ring. 20 guys involved in one match. Always love those. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited uh, for a lot of this stuff because, yeah, between Owen Hart, the Rockers, and Mr. Perfect showing up, like, these are some real, real big favorites of mine. And there's just going to be a lot of good stuff to talk about. So I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, heavy hitters. And, and you get to see them kind of in their youth, you know, so... They none of them can command the ring. They can't command their opponents. They kind of just have to be in there and do as they're told, you know. So we're seeing them in a way that we often don't see them. I think that's exciting uh, to see where these folks come from. I don't know, man. It's just a lot of it's a lot of cool stuff. I don't know because my notes are it's hard, folks. I'm just gonna say whether it's the Rumble or Survivor Series to be steady taking notes and trying to get details in like continual match after match and move after move. It's a very delicate art, but there were definitely some like things that stuck out that I'll try to help unearth uh, from my side uh, as we go on, because there is some history here. There are some connections. There are some cool things to pull out, but yeah, I'm like Miz fan. I just like these matches. They go on. You have 10, 15 minutes where nobody's getting eliminated. You know, what is that? You know, and so it's 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 like Survivor Series, but it's also not like the Survivor Series that we'll come to know that gets a lot more polished. Yeah, it gets more polished, but you do more and more run into you know what people complain about in these matches is oh like people will get pinned so easily you know just for the sake of time, and you really don't see that in this era. Um, so if you don't like long matches, that might be a uh, detriment to you. I don't. Always love long matches. I think, uh, especially now, sometimes matches... A narrative is kind of developed that a long match is a great match, and I don't really agree with that at all. But sometimes a long match is a great match. I think a lot of these are very good because they are putting in the legwork. They are including a lot of moving pieces, and they are kind of showing respect to everyone involved, even the people I don't like. Like, it takes time to eliminate someone. They don't just go out on a gust of wind just because it's a five on five match, you know, there, there's a lot uh, invested in getting people eliminated in these. And I think that's a, a cool dynamic. I agree. I like the statement going out on a gust of wind because <laughs> that, it just fits. And I was sitting there thinking, cause I haven't watched a lot of survivor series uh, pay-per-views in a long time, but I used to watch them regularly and I know people get eliminated fast because there's a lot of matches. And I was sitting there watching this thinking, like, how do the people get eliminated so fast? Like, what do they do to eliminate them? And so I don't know. I don't know if I was watching this steadily throughout the years, if I would always want it to be like this. But from a just where I'm sitting and this show, there is a lot more authenticity and reality because a lot of these guys are billed as like the strongest man in the world, the baddest dude, the this, the that. So. They can't just come in and be eliminated in one minute because it's Survivor Series and then go back to being the strongest man and the baddest dude tomorrow. Right, exactly. It's that um, hierarchy that we've talked about before, and it's also the fact that so many guys felt like stars in this era because they just didn't lose very much. It took a lot for them to lose, so, you know, pluses and minuses, but I think, uh, to me, it's a lot of pluses. Um, 
So I appreciate it. It's special uh, because we know it's not going to stay like this. Right. And so it's yet another thing that we are sitting in right now. And, th- you know, it's, it's part of the good and bad of doing something like the Legacy Series. And we found out when we got into the Vince Russo era in WCW is that, <laughs> you know, for a fact, when you're sitting in something that you love and you could do all day, all week, all life. And you know it's going to go away, and you know you're going to be in another era eventually. So you got to appreciate it for what it is while it's here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. There'll, there'll come a time, I'm sure, eventually, where we uh, won't be having this much fun. But fortunately, right now we're having a great time. So I don't know what's different. Like they panned the arena at the beginning of the show, so it's kind of you know the arenas are darker back then, but it's like a big arena, and now there's like three sets of like there's the the bottom floor then there's a kind of upper and then upper upper deck and i don't know man it looked just like because i started watching in 1991 and it just looked like the kind of camera angles the kind of arenas so i think slowly but surely you know we're merging what i never saw in real time and it's going to connect of course with when i started watching but there's something about that first image that's like, I feel like I'm home and I'm back to where I started as a wrestling fan. <laughs> nice. That's a great feeling to have. Um, definitely the aesthetic slowly changing. So uh, I definitely get it. Um, you don't notice it so much as you go through. But last week, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but like the difference between ha- um, Harley Race getting crowned in 1986 and uh, Haku being crowned in 1988, like... There were some notable differences, like like you said, the lighting is different, the camera is different. They're really establishing uh, what they're gonna be visually and aesthetically, and uh, it's an interesting process to watch. It is, it is because you know this is WWF who is just they're mindful of these. WWF has always reminded me for folks who have played any JRPGs, they are kind of the, the Square Enix, uh, the folks, the Final Fantasy folks, the, the folks who got out first and got to determine things. So they, when the graphics change, when the visuals change, it changes with them. Jim Ross, I was listening to recently said that his big thing when Nitro started was he didn't think that they would have the power or the knowledge or the understanding to run weekly shows in buildings that look decent on TV. So WWF in a way is getting a 10 year jump on WCW because WWF, I think always mindful of trying to make it a production. Whereas WCW will spend a lot of years, not even knowing what it is, or there'll be this for five minutes and this for 10 minutes. So, you know, WWF perfecting in the eighties, what WCW will perfect 10 years later. (laughs) That's a savage blow on the um, old Saturday night set. I guess they didn't tape weekly. They taped a bunch of stuff all at once, but I like the, with, with the sci-fi and like yes. the Terminator intro and man, that's so classic to me. So I don't know, Jim Ross, you know, that's, yeah. that's a questionable opinion to me. I, li- I like it a lot of stuff, but I already know that if I like it, that means there's probably something that's not, that's wholly not accepted about it. So, <laughs> you know, I think he's yeah. more, and like I said, though, it's, it's the square, it's the normative, you know, they're not yet doing what WWF does. And until you do what WWF does, you're not doing the thing that needs to be done. You know, so right. it's just funny to me. We're talking about that. I don't, I don't remember stopping much in the legacy series to talk about, oh, the visuals are changing. The cameras are changing. The look is you know, being updated. So 
Just I, we we spent a lot of time talking about the sets that they had and yes. uh, all the cool places they filmed and Mall of America. I love those first nitros and I don't know. There's some great aesthetic things about WCW. I love all of it, but I, I feel like all this stuff is mocked kind of mainstream because not only are the sets often mocked, but everybody. I, I don't understand this because I mean it may be top two or three things in my life is that Mall of America because it was distinct, it was different, it was night one, but Mall of America, it's like, oh, the show is a joke, the whole company is a joke because they had a show in the Mall of America is what I hear from, like, when I listen to people who are supposedly connected to the business. Yeah. Well, anyone connected to the business uh, has a particular reason to crap on WCW, so I'm not going to take that too seriously. I feel like, I feel like fans today are much more positive towards WCW than they were like 10 years ago. So I, I want to say at least in the fandom, I think there is more positivity nice. there. And that's, what, that's the thing that people have to remember, no matter what it is, whatever is popular today, 10 years from now, there's going to be a backlash because of its popularity. It's going to swing to something else. And then that thing is going to get a backlash 10 years later. Like we really do for at least for my entire life, everything that I have seen in every area of my life is like, oh, this is popular, and it will go in this direction, and we'll never go back, or we'll never go to the side, or we'll never go over here. And then ten years later, it's like everybody turns on that because it's been too much of that narrative, and so. Oh yeah. Repeat, rinse and repeat. Hype backlash is so common that you can't even call it a phenomenon, and uh, it's just getting stronger, I think, with the culture of our world. So yeah, yeah. what you like today. For some reason that you may not understand, maybe crap tomorrow. That's uh, almost the story of my life sometimes. So, you know, no mm. worries. It'll be all right. That's a hell of a statement, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, you know, I've had I've, I've had my mind change this direction, that direction, because there's a changing world. But I, WCW, Lex Luger, uh, Night, the early Nitro, like there's certain things that I have loved with all of my heart for, I guess now three decades, maybe two decades, and that stuff is just never ever going to change, and it doesn't matter what is introduced as new, it just, every time I go back to it, it is the same, so I understand the changing values, and then the, the normative versus, you know, sometimes your mind just changes because everybody else is so like, oh my god, this, and you're like, ah, I don't know about that much, but <laughs> It's nice to have some things that you love that just stay with you, you know, throughout. So I will I will kick that to you. So what are some things in pro wrestling that maybe you loved early that if you would go back to it today, this exact same thing? Um, oh, man, everything like it's my personality. Like I'm very it's very hard to shake me from something that I like uh, nice. or dislike. I, I'm a little more flexible on that one. But uh I don't know. Once I, um, I don't, I don't like or dislike anything lightly if I can help it. You know, I like to form my opinion. So I'm not making snap judgments and then reversing them later for the most part. I mean, any opinion of mine that's changed is probably changed by some outside factor. Like, you know, some, like you said, like if other, if other people are acting, obnoxious about something to the point where you don't like it as much anymore you know i guess that can happen or you know there are a lot of personal life things that happen in wrestling that might affect your view but man like i went back and i watched some of the first uh smackdown episodes i watched in 2003 with my brother a while ago and man i it's partly nostalgia i'm sure but man i love that stuff like i was a new fan again so it's just um the stuff that you love 
for me anyway, uh, is pretty much always great. And it's nice to be able to go back and experience the stuff like that again. Absolutely. And we will get 2003 in this uh, run, so we'll get to some of that. <laughs> Just short of where I started, so it'll be interesting to, I guess, kind of close that gap a little bit. I may... Uh, and we all have our limits, and God knows I, I have I'm a very particular person. But I we'll see as the, as the show goes on. But I may be able to be persuaded to end with the uh, Eddie Guerrero Benoit uh, WrestleMania if that makes any difference in uh, opening up any more space uh, in your fandom. Yeah, no, that would that would um, cover nicely where I did start, and I think I think there's more stuff in there maybe than you think that you would like. But I also know that you have very particular tastes, so uh, if you're not feeling it, we will uh, just uh, stop where we intended to stop at WrestleMania 19. Because yeah, I, I know the last time I was truly a WWF fan and not like I all I came back from Michaels. I came back from Cena. But the last time I was truly like I am now a fan again, I feel like I did when I was a kid was watching uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit like climb the ranks and win those championships. Mm, yeah, sure. Can't can't look at that quite the same now. But man, I, I that's what drew me in. You know, that's one of the big things that made me a fan. And here, 17 years later, still am. So, you know, that, that, that does mean a lot to me. And, you know, and I, I got my piece. My piece with it, and everybody's got to make their own. Exactly. is like, yeah. Yeah, Benoit, amazing talent. And WWF told an amazing story with him. And I can enjoy his wrestling without saying, oh, now everybody, you know, I don't, it doesn't put me on a crusade. Oh, now, by God, he better be in the Hall of Fame and we better excuse, you know. Like, oh, God, no. Yeah. You know, so I, I, to me, I'm at peace with here's Benoit the professional and here's Benoit the personal. So, right. like, a few years ago, I don't think I could have done like another year just to celebrate like a year that is based in Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, but I think I'm at a place in my life and with that story that I don't think it would be the struggle that sometimes it would have been in the past. Mm, sure. Yeah, no, and I get that. I think um, I, I, we talked a lot of Benoit, a lot of Eddie in WCW, the Legacy Series, and uh, I think we did a perfectly fine job. So not too worried about that if we get there. Um, it's just uh, it's never it's never going to be quite as fun as it was, you know, at the time before uh, before some bad things happened. And Eddie, I don't know what it is. I think Blue Blazer and Eddie Guerrero. There's something about the two of them. Mm. Yeah. Just when you watch someone at any point of their career and they clearly have not come into their full capabilities, but they're just so smooth and so good naturally, even in the beginning. I who who were you? I'm going to give you a difficult one. Who were you most (laughs) impressed with on Survivor Series 88 of all these newcomers? Oh, jeez. What? How do you define a newcomer? Because if I can pick the brain busters, I'll pick them. They're pretty new. Okay, so brain busters. That's that's fair. Arn Anderson we totally did see them once, yeah, but yeah, no, they're so great. Oh my god, like they're they're a cut above, I think, because they're not coming in new, like new to the big stage, so mm. they have a little advantage. But man, like they're just polished on a level that's almost unbelievable. Like they're just walking in the door in an era which is known for like having all these tag teams. You have so many, you could have this huge match. And they're just a cut above everything that we've seen, in my opinion. That's 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 fair. I got a lot of brainbuster notes in here. I'm sure you do too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all different too because Mr. Perfect is a heel, and he's in a certain kind of match. So, but he already showed more uh, depth and potential to me than Rick Rude, who is on his way to the world title, and and Mr. Perfect is kind of brand new. Mm-hmm. 
But he's like, because Perfect's doing, we'll get into it, but he's doing like seven things. Like he's all over the place doing what needs to be done. It's like a really smart IQ wrestling kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then Blue Blazer just took my breath. Here's the funny thing oh, about yeah. the show. You can begin it and end it with standout performances by who? By Blue Blazer and Coco Beware. This is a high-energy Survivor <laughs> Series. Yes, I like it. <laughs> so then we'll just get into it. But, man, I, I to be WWF, where you have the core of the people that gave you one of the most popular errors of all time, and then you have so much new talent that just looks like nothing but a good future. It is the kind of pay-per-view Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse are on commentary. We'll get into it. But they kick off the show with the music of the Ultimate Warrior. Imagine having a company, as Ms. Fan said, with over 50 stars, and you have the luxury, I'll just throw Ultimate Warrior on at the beginning and get the fans going. Like, get the fans going with his music. Just kick off with him. We got a lot of other stuff after that. Mm-hmm. I think they do a good job in these shows, I think, of kind of spacing out their biggest and most popular acts because you've got mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior, and he's the big one here. And then you've got... Uh, kind of a mix of people um, in the tag team match, like plenty of people to be excited about, maybe not one big star or anything. But then after that, you've got Jake Roberts, um, you know, who is definitely one of the top, top baby faces right now. And then obviously you end with the mega powers. So it's just a, a lot of star power in addition to there already being like loads of talent on this show. Absolutely. That's a good point. They really do space it out well. Uh, Jesse is in his program attire. Gorilla Monsoon is on commentary. We don't get these guys together a lot. It, it always amazes me that how good they can be for how not not only how little they seem to be together, but you know, there is them them together is so much like Jesse Ventura with Vince is nothing like what Jesse has to do with Gorilla. Gorilla with Bobby is nothing like Gorilla does. They all they change based on the, the commentary or commentator with them and the context, which I appreciate so much. I appreciate that a lot. It is um, it is very impressive that to some people this is the defining commentary team of the era because, yeah, they work together a few times a year, maybe. Like, it was always Gorilla and Bobby on Challenge and uh, Vince and Ventura on Superstars, and uh, Ventura and Monsoon were together very, very rarely, um, really only on these pay-per-views do you ever see them together, and yet they're still one of the defining teams of not only the era, but maybe all of wrestling, so it's a huge credit to them. They might be the only people on the opposite sides of the narrative line in this era who just constantly treat each other with respect. <laughs> yeah, they're both close to the line. Uh, there's some good interactions here where they both get some... Uh, interesting admissions out of the other and uh it, it uh, builds their common ground a little more i think integrity would be high on both of their uh values lists and and you know to be able to even exist in this company because integrity is nothing but a weakness in in hulk hogan's like 80s wwf so you know much respect i think miss fan just said it well it's like they they live close to the line either one is, is willing if you drag them over it to make an admission they will <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, also Heenan and Vince, respectively, uh, have no integrity at all in their commentaries, <laughs> so it's a nice contrast. That's a great point. I will say, too, this is an area that people are so proud and so prideful, so I like when, like, kind of silly things, like when the Warriors music kicks off and Warrior runs to the ring, they're all just running to the ring with them, you know? <laughs> That's a nice touch. 
there's a bit um, in this era when someone's popular enough, they kind of like overlap onto other people. Mm. Like sometimes you'll see people wearing face paint who don't usually. Um, you'll see, yeah, people here running to the ring. You'll see people wearing red and yellow who don't usually if they're with Hogan. So um, I guess just the, the sphere of influence of the big stars is always large. That's a great point because – how many people Hulk up and flex and and ear cup with Hulk Hogan during this era, you know? Sure, so, Liz did it, so. <laughs> yeah. And just so fans know what we're talking about, we're kicking off with the Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Beefcake, Sam Houston, Blue Blazer, Jim Brunzel, taking on Honky Tonk Man, Danny Davis, Greg Valentine, Bad News Brown, and Ron Bass. Indeed, Ron, Sam Houston making pay-per-view, and Jim Brunzel even here, when you probably thought he was gone already, I believe here is replacing Don Morocco, who now is officially gone from our company, so, so long, Morocco, I'm glad we got to spotlight you a few times, because you're great. Man, I will tell you, too, uh, if we did not know the future, I could give out a riddle, and if you had to answer it on one guess, <laughs> it might stump the whole world. What's the And riddle? that is, on the Babyface team... Come 1994, two people on this team will main event pay-per-views as challengers for the world title, and the Ultimate Warrior will be retired. Oh, wow. Well, if you include that last part, I hope that people might be able to guess, because um, probably it's not going to be Jim Brudzell or Sam Houston, but still, that uh, that's something where I think people would reject the premise of your riddle entirely. Yeah. They would say... No, you're a liar. You're not from the future at all. Go away. That's what I would say. Like, yeah. I'd love Blue Blazer, but if I'd only seen this just push wise, I wouldn't like. Because then also number one, you'd be thinking, I right, the Blue Blazers challenging for the world title because you don't even know really though and hard thing. Sure. And then fucking co-captain Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> no, no sir, no way. Oh man, but if you said like, if you just said, hey, two people on this team are gonna be in pay-per-view main events. Probably think Warrior and Beefcake, you know. So yeah. I know it's it's weird. I don't like it. But uh, Bruce Beefcake, like they presented him as a kind yes. of an upper tier baby face, and people they didn't not buy it. You know, he's over. So it's 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 what it is. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, you might be thinking maybe oh well, trick question. It's going to be Sam Houston in the GWF, but you can't know that right now. <laughs> I don't know, oh, anything Sam but beefcake. <laughs> yeah, I'd take Sam Houston's uh, scrawny little cowboy act over beefcake any day. So. Yeah, I think we found out why Sam Houston was never going to make it when they were just openly saying, like, he doesn't have the body mass to be able to move a person. <laughs> and I was like, well, you need to go either bulk up or go home, Sam Houston. This is not happening for WWF. Yeah, I mean, uh, on the one hand, I think it's kind of true. Um because, man, he is, he's a scrawny person. Yes. At the same time, you know, he probably didn't blow up his body doing steroids, so he might be doing better now physically in his life mm. than other people. So it's the trade-off that uh, that you have to take. Yeah, and, and we'll, just, we'll just ignore the fact that Honky Tonk Man and Danny Davis are on the other side <laughs> of the ring, but, you know. <laughs> you know, this is an era which can forgive a lot of body types, but not, not scrawniness. So mm. uh, it's um, just a particular stumbling block of the era i will say that i this is the match in the night where i stepped fully into the narrative that you have been presenting as bad news brown really was that badass loner before austin and anybody else oh my god he he is one of the stars of this match this match to me is all about uh owen hart 
Bad News Brown and Greg Valentine. Like, yeah. they're the big stars of this match. And, yeah, Bad News Brown might be the most fun and interesting one of all because when he's in there, he is kicking ass. And when the chips come down and he's confronted with the reality of uh, being on this team, he has nothing. He doesn't want anything to do with it, really, you know. If it had all gone smoothly, maybe he would have stayed out there. But he's just ready to leave. And it makes perfect sense because even on commentary, they're like, I don't think I ever saw Bad News Brown tag team with anybody. This is a a miserable guy who is a loner. He doesn't like anybody. He doesn't want to be on a team. He's going to cut a great promo about it later. So both when he is in the ring and when he is leaving it, Bad News Brown once again is proving to me he is one of the most interesting and most ahead of his time people in this era. Absolutely. We we leveled up his character work in this, which was great to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Valentine. I'll get into that. But I do think Bad News Brown, for me, character-wise, this was his night for this match. And then Blue, I'm not going to – Blue Blazer to me on that same level because mm. you're coming out in a silly costume – and you're you're not that you're not that established, and you know I don't know if it's because Owen Hart was never like obsessed with the business, but man, it's just not a big deal. Like he doesn't come off nervous, he doesn't come off green, he just comes off, you know, he gets in there and does his job. Yeah, I mean Owen Hart uh, may not be that established in the WWF, but he's probably more experienced than Brett was mm. when he came. In terms of like he had worked in Japan, he had worked in the UK. Um, he had worked a lot of places and, um, I do just think there's something more natural about Owen Hart than there is about Bret Hart. We talked about how Bret Hart kind of had to like build his abilities up brick by brick over time. And eventually he built a tower and, um, Owen Hart, like he, if anybody is an air element, it's probably Owen Hart. We Mm. haven't talked about that much, but he just kind of like gently sailed into this role and was great on the first day. Yes, I love that. A lot of great points. And number one, what you said. So we're Owen Hart's coming in like a Chris Benoit or a uh, Chris Jericho or an Eddie Guerrero in WCW, where it's like, oh, he's brand new, but he also, you know, he's been around. So mm-hmm. then Bret Hart, like you said, Bret Hart, he's already jumped leaps and bounds. So his thing is gonna be even like Bret Hart. We want a few people that even when he's Intercontinental Champion, even when he's World Champion, years after he's already been a World Champion, he could also still get a Most Improved Award uh, year by year. So he's just obsessed with the business, and you know it's not just some raw unnatural talent that's just unparalleled. It's the work that he puts in, and then at the end, yeah, Owen Hart. It, it, I do. I can see that air element because man, like his his personality, being a jokester, being lighthearted. And his and his aerial stuff is just everything is just it's easy and it's lift and it's nice. So Owen Hart is a different kind of breed, but we also we also got to talk about the trauma and tragedy of this thing because we will find out in 1994 that Owen Hart is wrestling under a mask because his dear baby faced brother made him wear a mask so as not to take away from Bret Hart's legacy. I just find that shameful even all these years later. <laughs> it it is absolutely um yeah i don't know i think um storylines aside I, i'm sure there was some resistance <clears throat> from what i remember reading to bringing owen in at all and they kind of had to work out this compromise oh well may, he'll be this blue blazer character and god like i can't imagine what the resistance would be to bringing in and using a guy like owen hart but this is a guy who more than once will have to fight for his spot 
uh, fight for a spot that they don't really want to give him. Um, and it's a damn shame because, yeah, he's one of the best people walking in the door in the whole company, in my opinion. Yeah. It's tough because I, I imagine, like, again, it's the thing about Bret Hart's side of it is, like, this guy will give his entire life. I don't think he could do anything else. Like, this is just mm-hmm. his life. Like, going to WCW is too extreme of a jump. You know, this it, this is it for Bret Hart. And to see someone who's so good and he's so close, this is also to Bret Shawn Michaels, to Bret Owen Hart. Like, there's there's one perspective of like, oh, these guys are smaller and they do they're great wrestlers, so they almost have to create a movement so they can get past this Hogan Warrior era. So then they're in it together. But then at the same time, probably only you know an era where we don't privilege that. Probably only one of you at best is gonna take off. So if there are people around you that look like you, like Marty Janetti is threat to Shawn Michaels, mm. uh, Owen Hart is Brett uh, is threat to Bret Hart because. God knows only one person can pass through that door at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. We got Blue Blazer. Grill Monsoon, Jesse Ventura, observational, beautiful stuff. They say at the beginning of the match that Greg Valentine doesn't get going for 15 minutes, so maybe they started mm-hmm. the match with Valentine so that he can get going after a while. I forget uh, if it was BK or somebody else who mentioned that line uh, a while back as being a recurring um monsoonism when it comes to valentine but uh it is definitely bearing up because they hardly can see him without mentioning that and i'm just sitting here saying like i i sure wish we had more 20 minute valentine matches so we could see him all warmed up you know like i wouldn't object to that remotely that is funny because he probably doesn't have but a handful of those but you know so they're really kind of talking off his legacy and who he is you know, while not giving him that in, in the WWF. <laughs> or just uh, maybe ribbing him about being slow-paced. Uh, well, but if that's the case, then too bad, because Greg Valentine at a slow pace is better than most guys at a fast pace. So Yeah. Valentine's another guy whose stock is going up because, mm-hmm. you know, you can watch him a lot, and because he gets no push for, like, ten years at a time, it's like, okay, it's hard to pay attention because I know nothing significant can happen, but, man... When Greg Valentine's on your screen, watch Greg Valentine. Oh, absolutely. And they gave him so much weird stuff because, like, he was with Beefcake and he'll be with Honky Tonk Man, like, huh. doing his gimmicks. As I know, he bad luck with tag partners. Yeah. Even here, like, he can't just be himself. He's got to have, like, the, the shin guard gimmick where he, like, wore a shin guard all the time and he used it to, like, somehow cheat with the figure four leg lock and... You know, he can't just be the hammer Greg Valentine. He's got to have all this different stuff. So um, never never really just let Greg Valentine go out and be himself, which was more than enough in my opinion. But still, like you say, if we get him on our screen, he's still going to stand out. And, and at the end of the day, all Greg Valentine is is Greg Valentine. So you take that or you leave it. Now, he, don't, <laughs> he doesn't need to be dressed up. Exactly. There's, there's no need for it. There's no point to it because he's just going to be the same. Yeah, no, I'm a huge Greg Valentine fan, so yeah, the the stuff, he and Owen Hart um, probably by far have the best in-ring stuff here. Like, whenever they were interacting, it was just beautiful to me. Man, that's a, that would be a good feud, too. Oh, it'd be great, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think it'll ever really happen, but it would have been great. So. Greg Valentine reminds me of someone who could make a new talent pay just for being a new talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not in a... Um, you know, there's some people who do that in a way that uh, is not useful to the business. He, he's no. a guy who will who will teach you, who will help you learn, 
Well, maybe he's roughing you up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, program-wise, like, if they were in oh, a feud, sure. yeah. like, I can see Greg Valentine kind of guarding the door against this blue blazer that thinks they can just enter into the business like this. <laughs> Indeed. I love it. So easily, quickly, gone like his heat. Danny Davis eliminated by the sleeper. And there's a nice little sequence because Danny Davis is not a wrestler and he gets eliminated by Beefcake, who's technically a wrestler. And then Greg Valentine comes in and roughs up Beefcake, who Greg Valentine, who's actually a wrestler. So there's levels to this. Absolutely so. <laughs> also, Valentine and Beefcake can never apparently escape their feud. Um, mm. So that, that continues on from years past. Um, yeah, like, uh, what do we got? We got Owen and Valentine going back and forth. We got Brunzel yes. in there and he's like, he kind of doesn't matter, but he's still got a great drop kick. So there's something, something he's got going for him. And then bad news Brown, like beats the crap out of him. So there you go. Absolutely. I saw, yeah, I got blue, Bla- blue blazer as a makes it look easy offense. Um, just everything he does. Bad news Brown and, and Greg Valentine work together very nicely in this matchup. And then we'll get a ghetto blaster on Mr. Jim Brunzel, who will be eliminated sort of quickly as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, this, I think, is the match. One of these uh, admissions on commentary I was talking about. This is where Ventura gets Monsoon to admit that he uh, cheated when he was a wrestler. Monsoon admits that he uh, resembles that remark. So, yes. um, <laughs> it's a great little moment. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, because we got two referees which they have been clamoring for forever. Because if you have tag matches, you got to have a referee on the outside. But well, we got that. And Grill Monsoon says he likes that. And Jesse Ventura says, that's because you're retired. You didn't like that when you were a wrestler. <laughs> yeah, you bent the rules a bit, Gorilla. Yeah, I resemble that remark. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate it also because um, it's funny for being a former wrestler. Uh, it's almost verboten to talk about Monsoon's wrestling career. Um, I remember on an episode of Primetime, they even did a bit about it, where Bobby Heenan spent the whole show promising he was going to show Gorilla Monsoon wrestling, and it was going to be so bad, he was going to make fun of them. And, of course, then it was just some clip of Bobby Heenan getting humiliated. Um, but uh, <laughs> usually they don't talk about it at all, and they never show it. They never really reference it. So it's just uh, it's an interesting little... Um, weird bit of this era. It is. Uh, Jesse will talk about it more. And it, you never know with Jesse. Like, is he making conversation or is he like poking and digging or doing something that's not supposed to be done? So, you know. Um, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, a lot of these eliminations, like they're well earned, but not all of them are notable. Um, we do get Brown walking out eventually, which yes. is definitely a great character moment. I gotta take a minute to praise that again. Because uh, he has some little conflict with the team, and it's like nothing. Like, most wrestlers would just walk away from it um, mentally, but Brown walks away from it physically, and just he wants nothing to do with the match anymore, and it's just really on point for his character. It is. This is the beginning. This, along with the fact that he gets a promo in a night where promos are scarce, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of spotlight on him, a lot of character building, and it just pops it. And I, this is memory, so it might be wrong, but... Was this sort of the first Survivor Series where Honky was the last person on his team, so he just walked out? Yeah, yeah, that was last year. So it's funny, now he is on a team where his, one of his partners is walking out while he's still there. 
uh, well, if I were teaming with the Honky Tonk Man, I'd walk out too. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> I think if they had won the match, Madness uh, Brown would have walked out on, uh, out on them in the celebration. So, you know, <laughs> let one little thing go wrong and you look around at who your partners are. I think he was, I think it was already in his mind, you know, I will be quick to leave if this goes the way it might go. Indeed. Indeed. Um, as we go on, Owen Hart does get eliminated. Anything you want to say about that elimination? No, I just, I've already said, like, it's an impressive start, uh, great showing from the Blue Blazer, and, uh, you know, it's a good, a good first showing. For sure. It does leave us with Valentine as the only person to offer any quality left in this match, because yeah. the others are Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Beefcake, Honky Tonk Man, and Ron Bass, and that's, that's a dire lineup to be left with at the end. <laughs> so, um, we get a, an awkward spot where Beefcake and Honky Tonk Man are counted out. Um, some weird some weird count-outs in the show, I think. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess that's the other side. Um, sometimes these uh, easy eliminations, later they'll come by pinfall. Here they come by, like, well, you stepped out of the ring for five <laughs> seconds, and uh, the referee you, just fast-counted you out. So. Yeah, you weren't an illegal man, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you're outside <laughs> for three seconds, but we need we need you going. It's yeah. got time. But we've said that. I think our most consistent critique, maybe in this whole series so far, has been some of the DQ and count out ways of doing things. Oh, sure. All time offender, uh, Hogan and Andre at WrestleMania 4. <laughs> yeah, Man. absolutely. Yep. Uh, so something. Yeah, go ahead. Ultimate Warrior. Let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about Mr. Ultimate Warrior for a moment. Uh, <laughs> he, he He's coming strong, you know, in 90. He's going to be our world champion. And in a way. He's cut from this, like, oh, Hogan, a savage who's cut from Hogan, warrior who's cut from savage of their maniacs, and they got connections with, like, maybe the fans and the universe and their hands and all this stuff. Uh, Hogan, I don't know if this is an introvert-extrovert thing. I don't know if it's an ultimate warrior being green thing. I don't know if it's an ultimate warrior being a weirdo thing, but there's something about him where his music goes outward to the fans. His shaking the ropes outward to the fans, but he is kind of this isolated private, like he's on the apron pumping his arm at times that really it shouldn't be pumping. Like I don't know what he's trying to do or get the fans to do. You know, it doesn't feel like, like Hulk Hogan is making eye contact with the fans when he's doing his thing. Like he is connecting with, it's a relational, almost dialogical uh, interaction when Hulk Hogan poses. Uh, Ultimate warrior is so drawn within himself that I don't know if this will matter as we go on, but there's something that's different, even as the Ultimate Warrior performs the same things that Hogan and Savage perform. I'm going to put it down in the weirdo category, because you're right, this is a guy who never seems to actually interact with anyone around him. Like, even when he is in the ring wrestling people, he's barely interacting with them. Yes. He's really just, like, in his own world. Yes. Yes, because he runs in and he bumps them in ways that they don't want to be bumped and they shouldn't be bumped. You know, it is like he's not working with them. And I know, too, uh, when he was teaming up with Sting, I can't remember who it was now. Somebody wanted to train them because they're like, you know, when you find people that look like that, you have found fucking gold. And like Sting shows up and gets trained. Ultimate Warrior has nothing to do with it because he doesn't you know, care about that. And, you know, you see the distinction as time goes on. So in a way, it's just his selfishness and his self-centeredness. In a way, it's his weirdness. But you're right. I don't know if he connects with his opponents. 
doesn't connect with the crowd. So I want to see, in a way, how much of the big-time warrior stuff is warrior-earned and how much is that. Because I've almost called bullshit my whole life. Oh, the WWF machine does that because fuck if it does half the time. But how how much is the ultimate warrior earning this stuff and how much is WWF machine producing this stuff? Man, I pity whoever had to give Ultimate Warrior any kind of, like, direction or advice or anything, because, like, mm. my felt sense anyways, this is a guy who would have been almost impossible to coach, because um, yeah. he is just so strongly in his own opinions and beliefs, and we see that uh, in his personal life as well, where uh, he will just fixate on something and not be movable from it, no matter what, and, uh, yeah, like... His wrestling never progresses beyond anything, um, in my opinion. It's it's the same on day one yeah. as it is on the last day. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, Ultimate Warrior is a, a major non-favorite of mine, as I'm sure I've been clear about. And uh, I guess we'll have to talk about it more. But, yeah, he is a guy who just exists, like, in his own world, in his own belief. And I guess that can be, like, people can be drawn to that as well. Um, cause he's nothing if not confident, you know, he has none of the insecurity that we've talked about in some of the other top stars. So it is what it is. You know, he's a, he's a different kind of person for sure. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to be honest to our own subjective opinions. Yep. Uh, he, he, he could steal the show one day and I'd be like, my God, here's the things he did. But right now I have two trains of thoughts. If I was WWF, I would be pushing him too, because like he's getting over and he looks like he looks in this era. And number two, he's yet to do a single thing that has impressed me, even like in a small uh, way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I said in the in the in the forum, and this may open up uh, too large a can of worms, but um, what if Lex Luger came in in place of the Dingo Warrior? And they put some face paint on him, and he was the Ultimate Warrior. How different do you think that is long term? <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I haven't had a chance to respond to that and felt since this is the thing I, I feel like I get about Lex Luger that nobody else seems to get about him. Like we always get kind of sting Lex Luger comparisons because they came up together. Lex Luger has always reminded me more of the ultimate warrior in that these are energy based guys that they just burst through. The warrior does it with shoulder blocks and clotheslines. Luger does that running clothesline. And Luger, I first when I first read it, I was like, Lex Luger wearing face paint would be a disaster because he's not he's not gonna have the talking and he's awkward and he's very smart, but also not the most uh, he's not wrestling art promo articulate. He's like, I guess I have a conversation and explain this. But he wore face paint at Fall Brawl '95 and that was kind of cool. So that's also a note against my bias. But I think Lex Luger could fill an Ultimate Warrior role like. They are both obvious, easy main eventers, and then they do their own damage if, if necessary. Whereas Sting, to me, is not an obvious main eventer, but then apparently he does. He's just so liked or whatever it is, or so consistent or so faithful or so something that he boosts his way up. So that said nothing about anything. So let me ask you then, like, what made you say it and what are you thinking? Well, partly I'm just very keen to replace the ultimate warrior through force of will by suggesting alternatives until the world changes around me. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, I don't know. It's just 
Lex Luger, we may have talked about it a little bit already, but Lex Luger does seem like a guy who could have fit in very well in the WWF in this era. Like, certainly he has the body. If he came in at this time, then he would not really have the, um, uh, you know, the the stink, quote-unquote, of, like, uh, another company made him because he was still in the process of being made. Uh, I think with his mindset, the WWF might have actually been a good fit for him. Like everyone, he would have bumped up against uh, Hogan, and I don't know, like, Warrior couldn't supplant Hogan. I don't know if Luger could have supplanted Hogan, Um, but uh, I don't know. He certainly wouldn't have flamed out in the same way, I think. Uh, It just would have been a very interesting reality to look at, I think. I don't know. Part of me says that he could have gotten over more, and part of me says maybe he couldn't because it's so intangible with the Ultimate Warrior himself. But I don't know. It's a world that I would have preferred to live in, so I wanted to at least uh, throw it out there. I think if it hurt anybody, it might have been Bret Hart. Mm. Because if he did better than the Warrior, because we're going to get to Royal Rumble 94 and all the the uh, surface reading know-nothings are going to be like, oh my god, they cheered Bret Hart more than they did Lex Luger. That tells you everything. Well, god damn it, Bret Hart was in one of the most uh, important and passionate and heartfelt feuds of his life, and Lex Luger flamed out half a year ago, and they cheered the one guy more than the other. Fuck off! <clears throat> Excuse me. Somebody in the back is yelling. I'm, I'm doing a podcast here. It's a professional thing. Quiet down. Okay, so, but if Lex Luger had been WWF made and he had been a WWF champion, it would not have been... I think it's a lot easier for them to be like, let's go with the WWF guy. And here, here, I'll throw this out. There's almost no bigger way to put someone over than Hulk Hogan babyface putting Ultimate Warrior over at WrestleMania, and that would have been Lex Luger's to have. Hmm. And Lex Luger, I would argue, did more with a six-day transitional... Throw, throw in at the last minute Monday Nitro world title victory. He made that bigger in a way than Ultimate Warrior made WrestleMania 6. So what might Lex Luger have been able to do with a WrestleMania 6 victory over Hulk Hogan? Yeah, no, they both had huge, huge victories over Hogan um, to win titles. And uh, while you can't downplay WrestleMania 6, I think, you can definitely downplay a lot of the Warriors' reign. And uh, we didn't get the chance to see if that would happen with Luger or not, but by God, yeah, he was hot as anyone in a time where a lot of things were hot, so you gotta, and, uh, and fuck, look at where Ultimate Warrior was in that time, you know, so you get a lot more longevity out of Luger as well. The two things I will say, I can see Luger having almost exactly similar reign in that I can see it ending by Royal Rumble to put Hogan back over, because, the one thing with Luger and Warrior, if you just leave them standing, they don't know what to do because they're just there to do what they're told because they don't really know and love the business in a way that others do. So maybe Luger has the same run as the Warrior, but it's more enjoyable for some of us. Uh, but also, Luger's not the asshole that the Warrior is in the regards. Like He was pompous. He was into himself. He did like money, but he got money for his performances, whereas the Warrior got money by holding people up at gunpoint at pay-per-view. <laughs> You know, so Luger probably would have stayed around. So Luger would have done more with that push and it would have benefited WWF more because he would not flame out like seven times a week like Mr. (laughs) Warrior will. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly, although Luger was not always popular in the locker room, clearly much easier to work with. Although you could say that about just about anybody in wrestling history from all accounts. So yeah, and Luger, the more I listen to everybody kind of downplay him in that time, he was into himself. 
which is bad enough. But he also he looked like he did. He got the kind of push that he did and, and also was into himself. And that was just you know, the combination of things was just way too much. So but I think in a lot of ways it was ignorance too. like it, it is part arrogance. But I think it, like I don't think he understood how he came off. And I don't think it benefited. I think it hurt him more than it hurt anybody else. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, Ultimate Warrior, just you watch the way he comes and goes in the wrestling industry and what he does to the business. Like, I'm not a Vince McMahon fan. I'm not a WWF fan as far as like, oh, those are my guys. I stand by them. But like coming to coming at people at pay-per-views and, and trying to get your big payday, like Warrior is just the kind of guy that you could tell him, like, you're going to make $100 million in your wrestling career, but – as of today, you're making one million, and you could hijack someone for two million and end your career. Which one would you take? And he would go with that first. Oh, that's two million over one million right now. You know. Mm, yeah. Oh. Um. It's um. <laughs> you got me in a catch twenty two because I always um. Vince McMahon is so shady all the mm-hmm. time, and there are gonna be some more story. Like, um, I won't talk about it here, but the way Rick Rude ends up leaving the company just reflects horribly on Vince McMahon. Um, and it's kind of similar about money and about promises made. Um, so I don't even necessarily doubt that the ultimate warrior may have for once in his life had a legitimate point, but also I'm not going to take the warrior side in anything because he's a whack job and he may have just imagined this payout on the moon or wherever the hell he lives. So, um, so yeah, two terrible people had a conflict and they were both terrible about it. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. As I, I will not defend Vince McMahon in any of this. Yeah. I just think, too, if you're the ultimate warrior, though, and you're making good money, probably just make your money because what he'll never understand, and this connects back to the beginning of this conversation, is you really are making all the money that you're making. Other than bringing your good-looking body, you are making this because WWF is doing it for you. Mm-hmm. They gave you ring music to run to <laughs> and be happy about that. <laughs> For sure, yeah. You could have ended up like uh, poor Hercules, you know, but they uh, they helped you out a bit, so here we are. Early Warrior, this is what's blowing my mind, is I don't have Early Warrior compared with a Sting or a Lex Luger. Early Warrior reminds me a whole lot of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> you know, it's to stand on the apron and do nothing. Don't even pay attention to the match. Don't be an Andre the Giant and help from the apron. Like, you're just not even connected to the match until you run in and knock people over in ways that don't make sense in ways that are awkward and ugly and you dominate everything around you like that. They're both in that same push right now. And they're both, you know, at least at this moment, similar as far as, you know, Warriors got a belt, but they're both kind of mid card talents who somehow are not world champion, but also can't be hurt at the same time somehow. So (laughs) however that works. Yeah, definitely a similar mindset there. Um, Just sort of ignore everything else that's happening do your own shtick. Um, if anything, yeah, Warrior's just a little bit more in his own little universe than Duggan, um, yeah. which is impressive in and of itself. I think the only reason I hit that thought is because later on, Duggan will be out there, and I, and he'll be doing stuff, and I, feel, I thought, like, I feel like I've already seen this tonight. <laughs> you know, because neither of them, I don't think, came in, unless I, I might have missed the beginning, but they don't, either they didn't come in until way late in the match, or they didn't come in much till you know, and then when they did, it was just like, they're doing their thing, and it's like this is a one-on-one or one-on-three. This is not Survivor Series anymore. This is just them, you know, doing what they do every night. Yeah. As much as we praise this era, um, and I think it deserves a lot of it, um, but one detriment to it is that Jim Duggan is not even the worst guy there. Like, 
Like Jim no. Duggan probably would also make it above Warrior on my list of wrestlers to watch in hell. Um, so you know, I was about to say the only difference is Hacksaw's better in the ring, <laughs> which is not like that's such a low bar to crawl under. But my God, here we are. So. Warrior is doing these running double axe handles, but his double axe handle, and I'm doing it right now. You can't see me, so that doesn't help. But it's vertical, so it's like extended your arms away over your head, connecting your hands as high as they can, and then running vertically like that. And it looks ugly. It probably lands ugly. And it's just uh, – I've never had the word ugly in my notes uh, as many times as I had in this matchup. Uh, yeah, well, it's a good word for it. I, the only thing you could say in favor of Warrior over Duggan is he's not making those stupid noises all the time. So that's, I guess, something in his favor. That is something. And then, like, when, I, when I'm knocking the ugly vertical double axe handle, he wins the match with that, just, like, running running arms. In, uh, and then yes, just he wins the, the match almost by coincidence. You know, it yeah. just sort of happens nearby him. So. Nonsense. Yeah, Ultimate Warrior is your uh, first survivor on Survivor Series uh, 1988. He should win by himself, too, because he, he entered. That's the thing. At least Bad News Brown had the decency to be honest and walk away. Like if you're not if you're not a team person, you know you're not a team person. But some people get to win the match and celebrate the fact that they were never a team person during the match either. <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed. We will now be entering uh, one of the most interesting things, maybe in the entirety of this legacy series, which is just this really, really long, uh, really vast, really deep. Mm. Uh, five on five, uh, tag team. Uh, the 10 teams is the, uh, let's see. It's Demolition, Brainbusters, Bolsheviks, Rougeos, uh, Conquistadors taking on the Powers of Pain, the British Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, the Rockers, and the Young Stallions. It's a lot. And it is, if you like professional wrestling and you like kind of this credible reality, kind of authentic, get in there and who knows the pace, the style and what's going to happen and who's going to win. This is for you, friend. <laughs> yeah, you call this a, a vast match. and I think that's a wonderful way to put it because it is vast in terms of size and the number of people in the ring. And it's uh, it's more than 40 minutes long. It's a huge puzzle with all of these pieces that you get to put together. And really, honestly, this is probably one of my favorite matches of the whole era just because there are so many great pieces involved in this match. I love the word puzzle. That is exactly what this is. And it's a puzzle without the box. You haven't seen this before. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, one thing I said before the match, and I meant this. I wrote this in my notes. As they come to the ring, I'm intimidated by the potential of this showdown. <laughs> right? Like, this match, even by the standards of this era, is overflowing with color, with uh, big legendary names, guys that will be uh, beloved, guys that will be champions. Um, there's, like, early seeds of history in this match. You have Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart on the same team over there. Um, you've got, uh, oh, man, just a lot of great stuff in this match. <laughs> Yeah, this is apt. This is Survivor Series, folks. This is Survivor Series. It's four years before Shawn Michaels will wrestle Bret Hart for the world title at Survivor Series 1992, and it is nine years before the Montreal Screwjob of '97. This is Survivor Series, and they are uh, just without fanfare on the same team. <laughs> who who would have guessed? You talked about um, 
seeing the future in the first match. If you look to this match and say two of these people are going to be world champions fighting on this card in um, four oh, years, yeah. I don't think you could have picked off of that who that was going to be. Yeah, two of these are going to be the, two of the most dominant performers in the 1990s. Yeah, two of these will define a whole generation of uh, WWF wrestling. Oh, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. Jesus, I don't know. Maybe tough. if I was work. watching it consistently, because I was shocked with Bret Hart winning the world title, but when we watch it in the Legacy series, I feel like the will of the company at least is with him, and he, he's getting better, but I feel like they're always trying with him. I still don't know if I would say him or not. Shawn Michaels is no way to know right now. You could not say what the Rockers at this time. No way. Uh, maybe a Demolition or a Brain Busters, or I don't know who you say. Right, Davy Boy, maybe you might say. Yeah. Just like you, they, you would not know. You would never know. Um, just picking two guys in this match. You might get lucky with Brett, but yeah, I, I don't think you would know that two of these guys were going to be two of the most important names in company history. Yeah, especially, again, it's just mind-blowing that you say they're going to define not only an era, much of the 90s, they're going to be wrapped around one another in a way that they're going to lift each other up and then tear each other down and be defined by each other for the rest of their lives. And you're like, it's just a tag match, folks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's not that serious. Uh, but what a tag match. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, what a tag match. This is... Again, it, there's an earn, there's a visual earning, and announcers will say this, that you go from, like, I can't see the ring to, like, when it starts to clear out, you're like, oh, my God, we have been at war, and, like, half the troops are gone, and I can see the ring. It's just something to watch that is not like anything else. Yeah, uh, it's a battlefield. I love matches that feel like a, a pitched battle, like there's a yes. battle of attrition going on here. And everyone came in at 100%, and they're getting worn down and beat down, and they're eliminated by power or by cunning or, you know, so many different ways that this can go, so many great pieces in a match like this. I love it. It's really one of my favorites. Yeah. It's a combination of the match style, and this year you just got so much talent in it that it's insane. Absolutely. And um, it shows you kind of like – both the depth and sort of the weirdness of the tag division, as the powers of pain are the babyface captains on their team. That's not like, yeah. that's something you definitely wouldn't have guessed just looking at, well, anything. Like, I've watched this whole era and I was still surprised by that. So it's like the weirdness, but also just like, there are so many teams, it's so deep that you don't know who's going to be important on any given day. It is, and like early Shawn Michaels in this match is just him getting whooped around the ring by uh, Nikolai Volkov. It's like yeah. leg kicked around. <laughs> Man, Shawn Michaels and Nikolai Volkov alone, that's just like, what? Like that yeah. happened? Yeah, like Michaels and Arn, and uh, just like there's a lot of stuff in here that you might uh, not be thinking of because Shawn Michaels' narrative exists so far away from like this era. Um, but yeah, here he is. He's mixing it up. He's doing good stuff. Yeah, and Arn is selling for Mario Janetti like a prince, just getting oh, bounced yeah. around. And then when he's done, he just leans on the rope, turns his head, and just mean mugs at Mario Janetti, and then <laughs> it's done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's so much. Like, obviously, I'm a huge Brain Busters fan. I haven't hidden that at all. But just looking at this, like, they're going to have such great matches with the Rockers, with Demolition, with the Heart Foundation, like, in an era where we, we've been, we were talking for a few years about, like, the tag team division, and here's the team that I think is the best of them all, and, um, man, I'm just so glad they're here. I love the Brain Busters. 
Absolutely. I looked it up. The VHS tape that I watched as a kid was called Still More Saturday Night and Saturday Night's Many Events. And uh, it includes the Rockers versus the Brain Busters, which I can't wait to get to. Uh, Brain Busters are just they're what everybody in the WWF needs. Like, I don't I don't usually have the whole locker room fighting over the opportunity to have them as their opponents. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, there's something that they're they're just a little bit different. They are so polished, like we've talked about. Um, these are guys who've had such incredible success already in wrestling, and uh, we're just lucky that they're here. You know, we're just having a great time with them. Yes, I also want to point out one of the biggest pops in this matchup is when Bret Hart gets tagged in. So he is not only getting better as a talent, but he is starting to get recognized uh, for his work a lot more. I think by the fans rather than just the organization. Bret Hart's popularity was built in the same way that his skills were built up, brick by brick. It's yes. such a gradual process, but it builds something so great in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think Bret gets one of the first eliminations. I think he eliminates uh, the Rougeos. I, I believe he does, yes. So that's a little bit of revenge for them. They still got their issue with uh, the Rougeos and with Jimmy Hart going on. One thing I love. Like, Barbarian does a big boot, but, man, he gets that leg up and he thrusts it. The, the, watch the Barbarian big boot, the first one in the matchup. It is it's fun to see. I always feel bad because the first time we talked about Barbarian in the Legacy Series was that weird, failed main event, WCW Bill Watts, yeah. 1992 run. And I think we were probably unkind to him, and it, it wasn't really his fault, I think, because the more I see a Barbarian, the greater I think that he is. Barbarian is a veteran, a pro. He's talented. Like, but you know, you also have to call what's in front of you. And, like, right. even as a kid, I don't know why, because it maybe it seems like it almost be a weird thing that was genius that nobody appreciated. Because you got Ron Simmons as world champion, which is awesome. You got Cactus Jack managing the Barbarian, but, you know, it, it just, it, it's, no, it's never done it for me. So, yeah, I can't no. say it. The, the, yeah. the sum was less than uh, the total of the parts that time, but. Yeah. Um, but he is great here. There's so many. Like, I could go all day probably just talking about great little moments in here. Like, there's one. Sean is fighting Tully Blanchard. Yes. And Tully, like, backs into his own corner. And he's, like, on the defensive. He's, like, falling back. So Sean is pressing in. But then Tully, like, falls to the mat, tags one of the demolitions, and just, like, holds Michael's leg in the corner while the demolitions come in and just, like, murder him. And he's trying to get away. And there's such a struggle and there's such intelligence on the part of Tully Blanchard and you just get so many good things like combining in one place. Absolutely. My eyes were on that note as you said that. <laughs> uh, it's cuz it, it's almost you don't even know he's down there doing it cuz he's so like non like he's done. Like you're this is again the thing against the guys like Warrior when they're done they're done. When Tully's off screen like he's still the one producing the offense because he just he just lunges at that leg and just brings him down and you're like oh my god don't you know that your job is just to make a tag roll out and stand on the apron like you don't exist until you're tagged in again but not <laughs> the brain busters oh man working the apron doing things that are so subtle um all these things that the brain busters do this is why this is maybe my favorite tag team ever because they do it in this match they do it a lot especially where they get hit they fall back and you don't even see but they're like reaching out and they make the tag as they are falling like as they're taking the bump that's one thing they do um fooling their opponents like coming in at unexpected times doing something from the apron doing something here after you made the tag like they are just artists 
of tag team wrestling. It's ridiculous how good they are. It is ridiculous. And again, the is Bobby the Brain Heenan managing the Brain Buster? So they got that right in the marketing. <laughs> yeah, what it's a awesome. wonderful pairing yeah, go ahead. for sure. Go ahead. That's why I was just going to say it's such a great pairing. And uh, two guys that didn't even need a promo guy, but still, I love that they're together. I think, too, our biggest praise for Bret Hart has come in that first Demolition match because Demolition and Bret Hart were working so smart in the ring, out of the ring, on the apron, on the floor. So if Bret Hart brings that and the Brain Busters bring that, we're going to have some interesting things coming. Oh, we are indeed having some interesting things coming. Um so good. This is where Arn, uh, he gets that spine buster oh. I've been talking about on Michaels, and man, it's a beauty. Um, it's a tag. He's being tagged in off of Michaels, who's already running. He picks him up, turns him, pauses in the turn, and then punches him down to the mat. And in an era where nobody on the other sides of the lines agree, Grill Monsoon yells out, and oh, and Jesse and Tara wow at the very same time. <laughs> Uh, talent will out eventually. It's that cream uh, rising to the top that Randy Savage yeah. talks about for sure. It's beautiful, man. And you just don't know what Vince McMahon can appreciate and what he can't. But my God, you know the Brain Busters are working overtime, but they're never doing it in the easy and obvious ways. Mm. Yeah, and I mean these guys will be tag team champions at one point. And this is a team yes. where you would think. Like, they're from another company, they're not colorful, they're not muscular, um, you know, in the, the, the bulky way of this time, and yet they're still going to be tag team champions just because they're that undeniable. And props to Jesse Ventura in that regard, because Bobby Heenan's been saying he's finally going to have tag team champions, and Girl Monsoon's been saying on a lot of shows, like, oh, you're never, you never have champions, so how is that going to be different? And then this comes up in the announce booth, and it said... Um, Jesse says, well, you just don't like him because you guys are, you know, partners in the announce booth. And then he says, that's not exactly true. And then uh, uh, Girl says, Bobby Heenan's never had a champion. If you can make champions, make one. And Jesse Ventura says, he had Andre. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a great exchange. And nobody ever brings up Andre in that talking point. So you get Ventura to do it. I appreciate that about Ventura. Um and he shuts that monster's like, oh, he was only champion for 30 seconds. And yeah. <laughs> said, well, only because he gave it away. Nobody beat yeah. him for it. So learn your history, Monsoon. Yeah. And it's just to be able to have consistent history and then announcers who dig down in it. Mm. I don't understand why that's not the most rewarding thing in the world to everybody, because by God, it is to me. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Anytime we see it. What is the point if that if that if this, I just have never understood if it if it matters it matters forever if it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and just you got to pick a lane and I'm just gonna go with the lane where what I'm watching has meaning. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like um, like it should be obvious. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, we appreciate it. So. A uh, couple more brain buster things. Um, we talk probably more about Arn than Tully, but man, Tully is uh, just about as good in here and in general. Um, and it's not just offense. Either. There's a moment where Tully gets tagged in and he's supposed to be fighting Barbarian and he just like does a little strut and then tags Nikolai Volkov and he gets out of there. And it's like, what a great little character moment because, you know, part of these things is they're like the smartest wrestlers. So why is Tully going to run head first into a guy like Barbarian when you've got like a big 300 pound meat shield that you could tag in right there on the apron? 
Yes, that's so true. And again, it's if you look like Arn and Tully in this era, especially in the WWF, obviously you're not going to be doing what the Ultimate Warrior is doing. So, mm. you know, what are you going to be doing? And if you're the smartest people in the ring and you've demonstrated all the time, that counts for something. Yeah, for sure. I will say too, because Dynamite Kid, he'll have a good like, oh, he snaps that suplex off or later, but. This is another matchup where it took me three-fourths of the match not only to know that Dynamite Kid was in it, but I was like, oh, by God, he has facial hair today, and I didn't see it for like three-fourths of the match. And, you know, it's just he was whatever he was to who who, who he was it for in whatever errors. But in the era that we're calling, he's never nearly the best thing to watch on the screen, and that's just sorry. Yeah, no, it is what it is. British Bulldog Legacy, I think, uh, continues to be overrated. Um, partly it's just due to the time that we're watching him in. But, hey, this is like we've watched the WWF stuff very carefully, and that's where a lot of their legacy is formed. So I continue not to really see it. Like, they're good, but yeah. they're not. They're always good. consistent. They're consistent, too. Yeah. And he does There's, unique things. Yeah. But if you're already being overshadowed and we're just like – bringing in more and more teams, he's going to continue to be overshadowed, and that's just how it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there's several teams in this match alone that I would easily rate above them. So, you know, is what it is. I've yet to hear anybody really come and offer a very strong uh, British Bulldogs case, except maybe like, oh, well, you got to watch before Dynamite got injured, or you got to watch, like, when they wrestle in other places. And sure, okay, I guess, but, you know. Yeah. Um, like you were saying, we got to call what's in front of us, and it just hasn't happened. So that's outside the scope of the series, right? <laughs> and nothing that they've done has made me want to go chase it. Just to be fair, you know. Exactly. That's that's the thing. So another fine moment is Bret Hart gets eliminated on the Miz fan spot that he hates, which is the the belly to back where totally gets his shoulder up. But you know what? <laughs> Bret Hart is a smart technician, right? And he knows the ring, so. It's odd that he would let his shoulders be counted down until he's up. And Earl Hebner is the referee and a Survivor Series. So I'm just wondering, did Bret Hart get screwed in this matchup? <laughs> now, I want to correct you a little bit. I don't necessarily. Um, it's all about okay. execution with a spot like this. And this is a case where I think they actually did it really well. Like um, this, uh, there, there are plenty of examples where this is done well. And this works well because... Um, you feel like Bret Hart is still learning, like we've talked about, mm -hmm. and Tully Blanchard, like, he's learned everything that can be learned, like, in wrestling. So I like to think that Bret Hart, the character, learns out of this moment, and he's going to apply this kind of thing, like, down the line. Um, but, yeah, just to see Tully Blanchard outfoxing Bret Hart like that is uh, is good stuff. It's cool. I like that nuance. Very, very well put. Um Another thing I love is we just have this breakout brawl between the Rockers and Brainbusters that the rest of the folks in the match just kind of let happen before them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rockers and Brainbusters are going to have a big feud. They're already starting to have it. Uh, I think I'm very curious because I'm pretty sure they wrestle each other um, twice on Saturday night's main event. So we got to figure out which one is your match. Um, yeah. They're both great, though, I am sure. Uh, my only complaint about this is they get disqualified and it's yeah. sort of a weak disqualification because all they're doing is just like fighting each other in the ring. Um, 
And yeah, like one of them should get out for the tag, but like hardly everyone gets disqualified for that. So it's a little bit cheap here. I agree with that. It does kind of hit on some things though, because like Shawn Michaels is going to be a hothead who misbehaves all the time and is never satisfied. Mm. And right now he has no gimmick and no self, no narrative yet really, but he's already kind of blowing up and misbehaving. And then Arn Anderson is the kind of guys like, oh, we're getting double eliminated on purpose because we want Ric Flair to be the sole survivor. And they don't realize that Flair's not on the apron and not part of the matchup. <laughs> they just they mistook one of the conquistadors for Flair. Yes. They thought he was under the mask. So <laughs> Absolutely. And how about this? Number one, what kind of marketing when you give people a tag team where the announcers don't know which person's ever in the ring for those poor conquistadors? But... <laughs> The breakout thing is we're down to two on two and the conquistadors are still there and they're going to be in the ring. Maybe the most in this matchup. And they're like, it's almost like spotlight the conquistadors matchup here. <laughs> oh man. It's super weird that it is the conquistadors. Uh, although it does kind of serve a purpose at the end and I'll touch on that. But um, I sort of like the weirdness like of that, because in a match like this is entirely plausible that an unlikely team could survive towards the end um either because like of some cunning on their part or strategy or even just like coincidence they just didn't end up in harm's way and then they're at the end and they get this chance to kind of show what they can do and you know they do a perfectly good job in this match being two jobbers under masks you know it's a really weird role to be in but i i like it and i think it kind of adds to the story here yeah, it's it's the hard thing that when you're when you're not being biased and you're just being honest, like there's good and bad with everything that comes. So like every time we learn how to like do a thing, it gets smoother, it runs better. Like you get the Diesel spot in the Rumble or the Kofi spot. You get Survivor Series where you know like I can already imagine like people just fall down. Now I'm starting to remember how they get eliminated. Like people just fall down and get pinned. Right? The first two or three are gone before you even know the match started and. There's something that runs smooth about that, but then there's also what you lose. And I think that matters a lot to the both of us. And part of what you lose is a matchup where you have some of the most talented and over and well-booked teams in the world. And the fucking conquistadors are kicking ass and taking names, even though we don't know their names. Yes, yes. God God bless the uh, weirdness of that. I appreciate it at the very yeah. least. Uh, so it's even uh, down to two teams on one team. With Conquistadors and Demolition against the Powers of Pain. And here we get a a key piece of evidence, perhaps the key piece of evidence, in uh, one of the narratives that I have been pushing. Mr. Fuji makes his presence felt on this match by getting up on the apron. He starts to wave his cane around. Ventura is like, what the heck is he doing? Like, commentary can't figure out his plan, his strategy. All they can say is like, oh, well... Uh, he's devious, so he has something devious in mind, I guess. He accidentally dumps his own man, Smash, out to the floor. And uh, this is another case where Demolition goes out to talk to Fuji. They get counted out in a span of about, like, five seconds. No leeway for them. So Demolition is eliminated. Axe is coming at Fuji. He's pissed. Fuji says, I don't care. I'm the boss. He's jabbing Axe with his cane. He hits Axe with the cane. And I'm just thinking, Fuji, you idiot. You are throwing away your tag team champions 
because you messed up and you don't even know what you're doing out there. So uh, this is a, another key piece of evidence in the Mr. Fuji is a bad manager um, uh, narrative. This has flipped something. It, it flipped a switch on for me because I read it as Fuji. I think I read it as Fuji betrayed demolition on purpose. Rather than it was an accident. I don't, That's uh, even dumber, though. It is. That's why the like the thing I came out of this is if you want to understand Fuji, you start with you can't understand Fuji. <laughs> Has anyone He's devious? Yes. Because like maybe he did it by accident, but it looked like he did it on purpose. The announcers called him out. The wrestlers on the apron called him out. Mm. And I was trying to think how many people have ever betrayed uh, their talent who were the champions for someone who were not the champions. Uh, only Fuji would do it. He's the only one. And again, I'm not going to rant because I've already done my Lex Luger rant for this week, but why not betray Yokozuna at SummerSlam 93 and help Lex Luger get a belt <laughs> if you're going to be betraying champions, Fuji? God, what a selfish son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, man. Oh, it was crazy. Like, however he did it. He's definitely not sorry. He is on the bait, on, on the outside saying I'm the man, I'm the boss, and pretty much whatever I say goes, and that goes over about as well as you think it might. <laughs> it's also how you a manager and you don't know how to talk to your talent. Like you, how like how long is demolition gonna listen to that? Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, like he may he may have done it on purpose. That's Fuji is inscrutable in that way as well. Like, and not even in a match like. If you're going to betray your tag team champion team, at least do it in a match where the other team can, like, win the titles. They can't even do that. So it's like, if you did it on purpose, it's even dumber. But it's dumb no matter what. So I, I love Fuji. I think he's a very great character. But uh, within the confines of that character, he if I were a heel in this era, Fuji is the last manager that I would want to have. Yeah. I came to like him better or see him better because... It gave me a lens. He's always been like we. One thing we pointed out without knowing better is that half his promos sound like he doesn't have the best interests of his clients. You know, throughout the entirety <laughs> of the series. Well, guess what? He doesn't have the best interests of his clients. Nope. Like this is how Pentagon would have liked him for a manager. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Fortunately, been, uh, constant conflict. Absolutely. Uh, so one thing I want to point out real quick. I'll give Dynamite Kid some props. Smash. Smash did the highest kick out of all that I've ever seen in my life on the Dynamite Kid. Mm, yeah. I love Demolition. This match, though, in the main okay. event has some absurdity that goes that gets to be, like, a bit hard to, to contain during a matchup. And after, like, to me, this one's hard to follow. I think because at the end of the match, the powers of pain are going to win. And you think you've had this kind of face heel turn because Fuji is kind of turned on Demolition and he's gone to the powers of pain. But the fans, I think, are still cheering because the baby face is one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the turn does not fully come off well, I think, uh, to the live crowd. So I can't really blame them. It is a little convoluted. I think yeah. you can follow it pretty well sitting at home. But it is weird because it's like, you know, there's just no – you can't figure out why Fuji would do that under any context. You know, just besides he's just devious. He can't help himself. So – um, it does allow Pirates of Pain to briefly work heel against the Conquistadors because they're not really established either way, which I think is one reason they made it so far. Smart. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, 
Mr. Fuji dumped the World Tag Team Champions for a team that uh, holds no title whatsoever. So that that's the story with Fuji. Yeah, Bobby Heenan, the great Bobby Heenan can't buy a belt, and Mr. <laughs> Fuji's giving them away. <laughs> exactly. What a world. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, and then there's a big spill out after the match where Demolition will come back and clear the ring, so... They're 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 running through this program pretty quick too. They've they've had a turn, the double turn, and then like kind of settled settled things all within like a five minute frame. There's a lot going on for sure, but uh, believe me, they haven't settled things yet. And uh, regardless of the start, this demolition face run will be hugely successful, and I'm really excited to watch more demolition. Awesome, looking forward to it. Next up, Sean Mooney and Bad News Brown, and I had a moment where I was like. Can these guys be the same age, but this be NWA 2020? <laughs> oh, if only. I love Bad News Brown. He has passed away, of course, some years ago. But, man, yeah. if he were still around, I would love anything he could do. Because he's a very good promo as well. It's a guy who can do a lot. He cuts a really good promo here about how uh, everyone at the company is out to get him. They want to be the first to beat him. It's not going to happen. He's not going to let it happen. He says Survivor Series means nothing to me. Um, which is a great, uh, you know, because everyone has to, like, <laughs> praise everything all the time. And he's like, no, screw Survivor Series. I want to be the champion. And that's great. I love that bit. Yeah, he's calling out Hulk Hogan in the world title. Like, go ahead. You oh, know, all these people did who... he call out Hulk Hogan? Or is that a oh, excuse... <laughs> Dear God, I thought Hogan was champion. Uh, macho, yeah. man. <laughs> you could be forgiven with the main event for thinking that. So. Yeah. But that's, like, a lot of these guys who complain that they were never world champion, you can't even find them on cha- on camera ever, you know, even speaking towards the belt. So, you know, <laughs> I he love also Sean. said, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. He, said, he says, I smell a conspiracy theory, which I thought was nice. Yeah, very nice. Uh, Sean Mooney asked him like very incredulously. And this is uh, to the detriment of Sean Mooney. You should have had a little more common sense and good faith. He asked him, oh, I don't know, why do you think you deserve a title shot? Like, he doesn't really believe that's true. And Bad News Brown says, have you been on Mars? I won the (laughs) WrestleMania Battle Royal. I've beaten everyone I've faced. And Sean Mooney is just no-selling this. And I I was ready for, I love Sean Mooney. I was ready for Bad News Brown to deck him, though. Um, Yeah. It would justified here. He was just reading his Mean Gene Oakland talking points. (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) That's a good promo. it's strange, you know. I think he's the only person on the show who gets a single promo, like a single by himself promo. So that's in, impressive. Yeah. And he's calling out the world champion who is Macho Man Randy Savage. So I thought that was a very special moment. Again, I think his character leveled up uh, on this show. Absolutely. Yeah. Love Bad News Brown. Excited to see what he's going to do next. Then Gene Oakland is with Fuji and the powers of pain. <laughs> Okerlund asks Fuji basically what the hell he's doing, which is a very fair question. Fuji says he made Demolition, and now their heads are too swollen. He says he did everything for Demolition. He made them exercise. That's like his one example of the thing he did for Demolition. Oh, man. I I took the mustard jar from them and made them exercise. (laughs) Mustard is so iconic to Fuji now. Can't think of them apart. Okay, so that happened, and, you know, for reasons. <laughs> then we're, we're back to the ring again, uh, and we've got, let me see if I can get this right. we got Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Scott Casey, 
Tito Santana, Ken Patera taking on Andre the Giant, Dino Bravo, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, and King Harley Race. And we're going to kick off with we got a couple of promos before we go to the matchup. I was going to say there are a couple of promos in here. Um, first, we got a bunch of heels backstage, and they're in front of the green screen again. And I'll just say again, I don't like the green screen on pay-per-view. Just, just mm. be in the back. You know, it's okay. But uh, uh, we have Andre menacing uh, Gene Okerlund and making some terrifying faces. We see that Harley Race is back and still a heel, which I forgot happened, even though I've watched all this before. Um, we get to see Mr. Perfect for the first time. So some interesting little bits here. It's always great to see Harley Race, and I will take it. I'll take what I can get. But the fact he's the only guy who doesn't speak, he is wearing a crown on the back of his trunks, even though he's not king anymore. <laughs> I feel like Harley Race is already kind of expired to the WWF, but they got to let him run out his clock. He'll he'll do a little more. Like he has a he he has a face turn coming. Does he? Yeah, oh, good. and it's it's brief, but there's something. So we'll we'll That'll see a little more of Harley Race. Uh, I think he took those crown trunks. All the way to WCW, though. I remember them trying <laughs> to make excuses trunks. for them. Yeah. <laughs> they fit. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, when you're as old as Harley Race, you've done as much. Man, you don't want to buy another set of gear, yeah. for God's sake. That's you fair. Know? Yeah. I will also say that this is, again, I think the most beautiful thing about this night is Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant are no longer associated with each other. But who they are, their core, that you almost think they're just playing this out because of the gimmick. No. They continue to be how who they are. So when we watch the Andre the Giant matchup, you will not see a greater team player and someone more concerned with the people around him than Andre the Giant. When you watch Hulk Hogan, you will not see a more self-centered, scheming person in the world. And they both do it to great success. And part of me thinks that when Andre walked away from Hogan, greater than the WrestleMania three, like, oh, I want a matchup. I want this great feud. It's just he saw the two of us will never be going anywhere close to the same direction. So we might as well. Like, he just walked off the set while Hogan was talking. So that was just the beginning of I'm going to go my way. And Hulk Hogan, you just start walking your way. And we're never going to meet again when it comes down to what we value took a year and a half for him to realize that that was uh, the correct response. His first instinct was the right one to just leave Hogan alone. Yeah. Cause you'll just get sucked into an endless uh, spiral where you can never win. They are so different that it we'll get into it. There's a lot of points, but Andre, you know, you would think Andre would be like the undertaker WrestleMania survivor series. He even says like, you know, he's going to be the sole survivor for a second year in a row. And that's not going to happen, but it also does happen, which we'll get to. But Weirdly enough, although we're moving to the matchup, I said we throw in a Mega Powers team uh, promo here as well. Yeah, one last bit of Hogan and Andre being uh, adjacent to each other. Uh, So, yeah, it's Team Mega Powers, but it's mostly just Hogan talking, which kind of tells you what you need to know. Like, it's not an accident that Mystic thought Hogan was champion again because we've kind of moved back into that seamlessly. Uh, Hercules is a babyface. He's here. Uh, Hillbilly Jim is still a person who exists, so that's surprising. <laughs> um, Hogan is whacked out again. He's talking about like a seance or something. Um, yeah. He's being weird. He praises Hercules as the strongest man in the world. Um, so, yeah, it's just more weird Hoganisms, but it's an interesting group of people here. 
Yeah, they found Hercules standing in the Pacific. Then they had a seance, and then they struck. They all got struck down. It's funny his rhetoric. They got struck down as Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> another Freudian slip, perhaps. Wonder if they were in the ocean because he destroyed another city, like he did yeah. Atlantic City. I don't know. What Hulk Hogan says though is purposeful. Like you, he's not the world champion. And what else does he work into this promo? He says. Hulk Hogan has ruled for five years. Yep. Yep. That is a hell of a loaded statement. And I'll go ahead and say this now. When we get to the main event, Macho Man Randy Savage is wearing Mega Powers trunks. Hulk Hogan is wearing his singles trunks. Yep. So there's a lot of little things. And the five-year comment is clearly like you're standing there with the world title, Macho Man. You're defending it when Hulk Hogan is off making movies. And the man on your team just said that he has ruled for the last five years. That's not an accident. And they all got struck down as Hulkamaniacs. And then the only other thing is just Coco Beware's awesomeness. He says, uh, when you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. And we can't lose with the stuff we use. <laughs> oh, man. I love Coco Beware. I will say again, I will say on every show that Coco Beware is on. Super deserving main eventer, super underrated talent. Should have been able to do a lot more than he got to do because he is consistently great every time I come across him. And it's, he's rugged in the like. The worst thing you can do is dismiss him as like another lightweight or cruiserweight because there's, there's a oh, ruggedness yeah. to him. His voice, like his style, his ability. He's just got some. He's got an edge that just was not exploited. And I wish that they had gone that way. Like, just give him a superpower that makes him bigger than his height and let him be, let him work towards his talents. <laughs> I don't know if he ever gets to do it on pay-per-view, which is a damn shame. But his finisher is this unbelievable brain buster that just looks murderous. Like, it is mm-hmm. not a high-flying move. It is a move that should have come out of some, like, super stiff era of japan where they're basically trying to like murder each other for real and just barely making it a wrestling match so like this guy he had so much great stuff he is not just a high flyer and if you think that you're absolutely nuts yeah absolutely yeah but it's just yeah oh high energy go out there like you guys can flap your wings yeah you know come on man he can he can do more than that yeah, he was definitely uh, unfairly, in my opinion, limited by uh, some factors beyond his control. So I really got to show love to him whenever I get a chance. Because most of like, I can even understand, like, if you're smaller, like, sucks to be you in this era. But the per- there's a bigness to his personality. And that song, like, that just, just the markers are adding up. And, again, I think putting him with Owen Hart is, is so just because... Those are two men that will, I don't care how much you did or didn't push them, they both got robbed in their careers. Absolutely. Do you know in 1994 they have a match at some point? I did not know that, but by I, God, we will be watching that. <laughs> if we can find it, I would, yeah, I really want to uh, pick that up because I can only imagine that's, even if it's like a short match, yeah. there's got to be some great stuff in there. Just it happening is great. Absolutely. This is so uh, interesting because. The babyface team, like I, I'm here for Andre the Giant and his team, but uh, right, yeah, let's match. do the rundown. Um, so yeah, uh, I think you might have mentioned, but we got we got a very Bobby Heenan team on one side because you've got Mr. Perfect, Harley Race, Andre the Giant, and Rick Rude, uh, along with Dino Bravo, and I think Mr. Perfect not even officially in the family yet, but you got to think of them together. 
and then on the other side, you got Jake Roberts, Tito Santana, Ken Patera, Jim Duggan, and Scott Casey, who is not a name you might recognize. Um, the weird, like, cursed spot on this team, because first it was going to be JYD, and then he left. And then it was going to be B. Brian Blair, and he left. And I didn't even know he was around anymore. So we get Scott Casey on pay-per-view on uh, on the Jake Roberts team. So he's, he's going to do about as well as he might expect. Yeah. I will give him credit. According to Wikipedia, at least, he, as a trainer, he is the guy who broke Booker T into the business. Well, goddamn, he's a hero then, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I and had no and- idea. That's amazing. I knew because I watched him. I was like, he's on pay-per-view. I know he's been kind of a jobber, but there's got to be something to him. So I wanted to bring a note. And so I looked him up. And he also was a – after his career, he was he he was a trainer for a, a Nick Bockwinkle school. So. Oh, man. That's a – I didn't know there was a school that was that. I wonder who came out of that school because yeah. that sounds awesome to me, man. Oh, wow. Absolutely. So that, that's just a little, little fun uh, tidbit there. As uh, Scott Casey, I probably won't be talking much about him in the future. So. <laughs> hey, he he had that great debut match with the uh, Brainbusters, also, so he's got a few yeah. things going for him. That's why I stood. I knew there's a reason that I wanted to say, like at least this is a person, I, you know. Okay, so let me see. And began working as a trainer for all for wrestling. Nick Bikewin goes UWF International Wrestling Promotion. Didn't know that existed either. Man, I'm learning stuff again today. See, this is why I always hope that someday I'll come in the show and Ultimate Warrior won't have existed. Because, like, sometimes <laughs> weird Mandela effect stuff happens where I was like, yes. I should have known about that and I didn't. So you never know. I, I live in hope. I believe in that no matter. Like, I don't believe that I'm ever going to see it, but I believe in the felt sense. Like, we get so deep sometimes with some of this stuff that it feels like for five minutes that maybe we, you know, I, that was my hope for the entirety of WCW, the legacy series. It really was, uh, you know, like if we can't change the narrative, can we just change the fucking history, which will in itself change the narrative and we'll just wake up to a different world. Um, someday maybe. Yeah. Still waiting, but you know, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Ken Patera is shoving Rick Rude around the ring. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't last long because Ken Patera actually goes out. Before Scott Casey, which tells yeah. you everything you need to know about where Ken Patera is. But but in this match, we do get Monsoon talking about how Ken Patera is the guy who retired him. So that shows you where Ken Patera was at one point compared to this sad, poofy-haired jobber that we don't talk about. <laughs> I love that girl Monsoon note because oh, yeah. as a kid, I would be, if I was watching Sally, I'd be like, shut up. That didn't happen. Like, old man, <laughs> you didn't wrestle. Stop talking about these things. But... <laughs> You know, as an adult who appreciates like the people that need to be appreciated, Gorilla Monsoon dipping back for five minutes. God, you got, you got to love that. Oh, man. It's so weird. We've talked about the different kind of, like, classes of people and, like, the different places on the hierarchy, and we're kind of running out of them, but I really like these guys who came in before Hogan, even. And, like, mm. some of these guys challenged Bob Backlund for the title, yeah. and Ken Patera is one of them. Like, he did that... Uh, I think Morocco might have done that. Um, even Iron Mike Sharp, like, he came in to be a challenger for Bach, for uh, Backlund a long time ago. So um, guys who are, like, a holdover from the last era of WWF are uh, are interesting and fun to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I, I always readily admit a lot of folks are not getting their justice because mm. – I'm not a I'm not a scholar of that era, so it's not like I can also just be like and and every time I mention them, let me take a, a two minute window to talk about how great they were in in this that and the other, you know. So I understand 
that some people are not getting their due because of the context that we are in. All we can do is do our best. So call what's in front of us, but there's uh, this bigger world out there too. Maybe, maybe someday we'll we'll talk about it more uh, in a legacy standpoint. But for now, we can just give the little shout-outs. Yeah, and one in that same vein, even seeing Mister Perfect in ring attire that is not Mister Perfect's ring attire is oh, another yeah. one of these special moments. Like you're not yet everything that you're going to become, you know. And I get to watch you right now, and. Yeah, he's so good. Like just going off the ropes, Hacksaw's over there, so he bumps Hacksaw, who's standing on the apron, just to, just because. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely, Henning is an all-time favorite of mine. It definitely threw me a little to see him in the short trunks and not the singlet that he's supposed to be wearing. But uh, then again, you know, it's not surprising that he's already so good because he he was AWA champion, I think, yeah. um, after Nick Bockwinkle before they completely kind of slid down, you know, there's definitely a bit of decline when he was champion, but, um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's been in there with Bachwinkle, who's been in there with a lot of big names, second generation superstar with Larry the Axe Henning as his father. And yeah, he comes in the door and he's very good right from the start. Yeah. He, he does a lot of stuff and, and he, he's not going to dominate because like Shawn Michaels, again, it's really not about him right now in WWF, right. but everything that he does is smart. He also he can't do a he can't do the uh, perfect place because he has no singlet to pull down, so that's a disadvantage. So he has to just kind of he's a he pesters people in this matchup, and I I appreciate that. Yeah. It always surprises me when I go back and look how long it takes Hennig and Heenan to actually be paired up because mm. you might think from this match oh they're already together, but no Hennig will be on his own. He'll be with the genius. Uh, he'll have the whole feud with Hulk Hogan. Uh, only, yeah, over time will he finally become part of the Heenan family. He might have been with Genius when I started watching, because that pair sounds so familiar. <laughs> they, uh-huh. they do some notable stuff, so it'll be interesting. I always, like, even when, for me, when he was standing back there in the Survivor Series with Heenan, like, I was thinking 92 Ric Flair, too, you know, so. Sure, yeah. There's so much legacy. This is the fun part, though, again, about when you know that people are going on to great things. But it's like, yeah, you, you're going to go on for great things, and you're going to be known for those great things. But it's almost like I'm watching you in a place I'm not supposed to be able to see you anymore. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, we also get some pairing between uh, Kurt Hennig and Tito Santana, who will have a hot feud over the Intercontinental title in a couple of years, and they, they have some great stuff together. Um Andre ends up being the star of this match, in my opinion, like in his moments. But uh, yeah. my favorite pairing probably was Perfect and Santana. Yeah, I have. A, I can't find my note yet, but I have somewhere about Tito being one of the most underrated and undervalued because Huge. just the way he bounces off and does that forearm by itself is enough to, to be a high mid-carder the rest of your life mm. if you had no other value whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely. And, again, it makes me sad to, uh, again, touch on, like, this is a guy who was Intercontinental Champion. I think yes. maybe even when we started the series or right around that time. So uh, Recent tag already, champion. Yeah, yeah, he's tag champion as well. He'll have a lot to do yet, you know. Um, so we're going to see a lot of Tito. And then another one I want to point out is Harley Race comes in and does a fucking drop kick. Um, and then just grabs a guy by the head and punches him like in such a measured way. And it's like everything he does even now is signature and it's beautiful. Yeah. I was talking about Harley race uh, with somebody 
and uh, they had a nice phrase for it. He said, uh, even in his dotage, he's a great bumper, and it's true, because like, mm-hmm. he's probably in that time period now. This is a guy who wanted to stop wrestling, and I think 1983, he was going to do a territory in St. Louis and just kind of be his own person, and then, of course, the wrestling world got turned upside down. So here he is five, later, five years later that he wanted to be here, and he's still doing great stuff, and he just had surgery, and man, Harley Race, like, he's great. He's a legend. I love this guy. He's another one, like Bret Hart and like some of the others, that whether he's going to be a world champion, an intercontinental champion, a no champion, you just feel like he's doing the only thing on earth that he ever would have been doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like Some people, there, there was nothing for them to do outside of wrestling, so they got to be involved in it somehow. Um, and uh, I'll be happier for him. Like I, wa- I like watching him here, but I think I'd be happier for him when he goes out to WCW to be a manager and he was so good at that like he probably yeah. could have started doing that a few years before he actually did um cause yeah I don't think he really wants to be wrestling still but even so even as an old man he's still good at it it's almost like the thing and it's becoming a theme now organically so the oh like Brett can't suffer Owen and Sean can't suffer Marty and <laughs> you know they bring Harley Race as a manager. I think it's the wrong choice, but we're not doing WCW the Legacy Series. But they turn Luger heel and make Race his manager in order to fill the role of Ric Flair, who was healed because oh, we just had a heel and he's gone, so we need a heel. But again, it's almost like you know you need Flair to go away before you can give space to Harley Race in a way that no, you really don't, but yeah, you kind of do, but you shouldn't type thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I found my Tito note, and it was just another love the mid match wrestling by Tito and Perfect. Then tagged Hacksaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Um, Tito does eventually take uh, Harley Race out of the match, but here comes Andre. And man, this is the start of Andre being awesome in this match because he just oh. grabs Tito uh, by the throat and like just pushes him against the ropes and just is like swinging him up and down. And like he's doing it so intensely that you think Tito could be eliminated just because he'll fall down when Andre lets go of him and he won't be able to get back up. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And right before that, uh, Harley Race, uh, Andre on the apron laid his head over the turnbuckle and Harley Race threw Tito's head into what would have been the turnbuckle. What was actually Andre's head. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. fun. Andre. Oh, man, this is going to be an interesting because. Andre is going to get the shit beat out of him by Hacksaw and Jake Roberts, and he's going to get tied up in the ropes. And I don't, I didn't know where the story was going. We'll get into where it goes, but I had turned my head away from the screen in, in, in order to no sell uh, the level. And it works story wise, and we'll get into that. But in that moment, I was no selling the reality of the way he was getting the shit kicked, kicked out of him by those two. <laughs> but he's Andre the Giant, and he is, you know. He's a complicated, like Hulk Hogan in this era, he can get beat down. He found himself wrapped in the ropes, and people who do not like him took advantage of it. Yeah, there's nobody ever, I think, who got caught in the ropes as well as Andre did. Uh, It's a classic um, way to disable Andre. He gets caught up here, and yeah, I mean, you may turn away from it, but the crowd, when Jake was in there, just pounding away on Andre's head and he couldn't defend himself man that was one of the biggest pops probably of the whole night yeah and then they get the domination and again the, and the announcers rightly praise Andre because Andre's finally untied does he come back as an angry giant he's an angry smart giant and the first thing he does at that moment is tags out 
Before, it's not over, though, but he tags out. <laughs> it's good strategy. Um, and, yeah, Andre, a uh, team player and a thinking yeah. wrestler, so more credit to him. Yeah, it's not only about him. He has a team, and he takes advantage of that. And he'll even be smart. I love this. There's several times right after that where Jake will be laying over the rub, and he'll come and step on his throat. Like, he is he's paying these little cheap shots back from the apron, and you know, sad, sad for you if you think that is, is all the payback that's coming. But at the moment, he's getting these cheap shots, which not only get him some revenge, because he is pissed off and he's embarrassed. But it's also, again, in the moment, like Hulk Hogan would burn the building down with the Hulkamaniacs in it if that happened to him. Andre the Giant's already regrouped to try to help his team in a smart way while being angry and embarrassed. Oh, yeah, Hogan would sacrifice those children in a moment. You're so right about that. Yeah. And oh it would be gosh. like the supposed right thing to do, and they would be cheering while it happens. So, <laughs> oh man, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I got some Hulk things Hogan. to say about him later. <laughs> okay, so what else happens? Oh boy, so um, it's Duggan and Jake is four on two because only Harley Race got eliminated on the other side. So they're they're up against a big um, disadvantage, but they're gonna pull together. Surely they're gonna show good teamwork. No. Uh, Jim Duggan grabs a board for almost no reason, no reason and just beats the living hell out of <sighs> Dino Bravo and gets disqualified, screws over Jake, screams curse words that have to be bleeped out <laughs> as he leaves. And I'm like, how is this man a baby face? Like, he is, yeah. he's terrible. Oh, my gosh. You and have to think- know, too. Imagine watching a two and a half hour show and you're taking notes the entire time, you know. These are long, long matches, and I wrote down that this is this is an insult to people watching the matches because I am investing so much time and energy, and it made no sense whatsoever, and it disrupted the match, and it had no bearing in reality. Like, I think I was looking down, writing a note, and I looked up, and he had a two-by-four, and I was like, what the hell is going on? I literally, this is true, I had to rewind, like, twice oh. to find out what even made him so mad that he had to, like... Frenchie Martin grabs his ankle one time, and for that, he just completely loses his mind. Um, And the the saddest thing is, is that Jake can't even get the pin on Dino Bravo after this beating. So, like, it's four on one. There was no advantage to this. It's just, it's ridiculous. Let's also just be honest. He did not lose his mind. He betrayed his team. (laughs) He did. Yeah, you're right. Because all Hacksaw Jim Duggan has is that he is dominant, and he was about to have to actually be in there, and he was going to get exposed. And, you know, again, because it's not like – usually when he clears the ring, it's some triumphant thing that you're supposed to be, like, into. But you're right. They were, like, censoring him because he's swearing. And it's clear that even in his own little tiny pea brain, like, what he's doing is not called for and doesn't make sense. <laughs> Absolutely. This is – um. Absolutely the equivalent of Honky Tonk Man walking out the year before. Like, yeah. this is the baby face version where you just uh, just just cheat so blatantly you have to be disqualified so you can leave. Yeah, if that's who you want to be, own it. Like, Bad News Brown walked out, and guess what? Owned it. He says, I don't care about Survivor Series. <laughs> the saw Jim Duggan's going to wave that fucking two-by-four like he's a hero when he is a coward and he betrayed his team and he's not that talented and he was going to lose and he's going to lose probably pretty fair because four people don't have to go to extremes and he could not handle the fact that he was just going to get pinned in the ring, so grab your two-by-four and go home. Yep. 
So there, Jim Duggan, get a get a backbone when the chips are down. My God. He also kind of started the Andre thing, and Jake Roberts is the only one who's going to pay for it. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, so yeah, we get four on one, and we get it honestly a lot longer than I was expecting. Um, this is a match which probably could have been trimmed a little bit, in mm. fairness. Uh, but yeah, Jake keeps fighting. He eliminates Rick Rude with the DDT. But uh, that that's going to be pretty much all she wrote for Jake because Andre comes in and he goes just buck wild on Jake, <laughs> choking him in the corner, ragdolling him around, even biting him. I have in my notes both I don't know how Jake is alive and also Andre gets DQ'd for attempted murder. So <laughs> Absolutely. It is you're not expecting it. It is out. We all we've talked about this whole series is how cool Andre the Giant is. And as I'm thinking about it, not only is it like I got tied in the ropes, like I got embarrassed, I got beat up, I got brutalized. Like, cause to imagine being a giant who never has to be vulnerable. And he found out in five seconds what people would do to him if they could do it to him. Oh, yeah. You know, and then on top of that, even in the, uh, Andre puts his hand in the promo on Gene's shoulder, and then Bobby Heenan's talking about how big his like his hands are. He's doing the choking thing, uh, and that's kind of the reason for it. But if you go back and watch it, the moment it also that he puts his hand on Gene's shoulder is when Gene is saying the name Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm-hmm. And so Bobby, it's all it's not only getting embarrassed finding out what they would do to him, but it's also. There's that weapon, and he is still a scared giant. And I think all of these things are coalescing together. And, man, Andre the Giant loses it. He does, yeah. And I, I like that you touched on the embarrassment because that's a big factor that I like in wrestling when they pull that off well, and they do here. I like that you talked about Andre got a taste of what everyone would do to him if they could. But most of all, it's the fear. It mm-hmm. is that feeling of fear that Andre is not used to feeling. It's the knowledge that this guy, Jake, has one weapon that can drive him beyond the logical, beyond the safety of his size, drive him to a place of panic. And, yeah, no, he just he exacts everything on Jake here. I think the goal in his mind is I want to do so much to Jake Roberts here that he's never going to think about bringing that snake near me again. Yeah, it is. And then you want to think, oh, this whole time you've been saying – like everything Andre says, everything he does, he's a team player, he's a team player, he's a team player. Well, how could he get himself disqualified if he's a team player? Like, how could he do that to his team? Well, guess what? It's three on one. He gets himself disqualified and not a single move by Mr. Perfect and his team is done afterward. The only thing required after Andre leaves for his team is to lay down on top of someone and pin them. I love how understated that was. In a lot of areas, you would have had perfectly, I guess, to go in and do his finisher, or Jake still kicks out and he's going to yeah. fight some more. Like, But no, it was perfect that Jake just flops down after this attack. Mr. Perfect just slides in, pins him immediately. One, two, three. There's no question about it. Really, really well done. Absolutely. It's so beautiful because they, they just elevated this feud so much. And, like, how can you have Andre the Giant act out of character in ways that we have never seen and then still also in some ways be so true to character? Those are the things that are valuable for sustaining characters uh, in the long run, and I greatly appreciated that. Mm, Yes, absolutely. 
Um, Andre, uh, for all of his efforts, though, uh, no. doesn't get doesn't achieve his final goal because uh, before the heels leave Oops. ringside, Jake has recovered enough to bring that snake up, and uh, he's able to scare Andre away and towards the back with it. So, did not did not achieve his goal. Sorry, Giant. It's such grotesque behavior, and I love the Jesse Ventura. I wish he would never leave because, mm-hmm. you know, not only does he say it's too little, too late, then he tells Gorilla Monsoon, stop praising the loser because <laughs> these guys act like every time that they act out, it's like they won something that they did not win. He got handled and laid out in the ring and pinned by someone who didn't do a move to him, and that's just it's just fair. Because Andre the Giant got disqualified, that's fair. There's two people left because you didn't beat them, that's fair. So you lost the match about as fair and square as you can. So what is the what is what's the commotion? Just pack it up and go home. Do like your friend who walked out on you. Pack it up and go home. Well, the only thing I can say uh, in defense of the other side is um, after Jake got attacked like that. I think uh, maybe he has a right to strike back a little bit. But, yeah, uh, a lot of praise towards Jake, who lost the match very decisively, and that's uh, that's a little much to handle. Yeah. So Gene Okerlund uh, is with the uh, – weirdly, again, like we had the Mega Powers earlier in the show, and now we're having the Heels, which are uh, Big Boss Man, Akeem, the Red Rooster, Haku, <laughs> and Ted DiBiase uh, in a promo with Gene Okerlund. Absolutely, and they're going to be facing up the other side. I'll just read it off quick. We kind of talked already, but Hogan Savage, Coco Beware, Hercules, and Hillbilly Jim. But first, we have the heels here. We have uh, Slick and Heenan with their partnership. I got to say, every time they get together, it's like uh, probably my favorite heel manager partnership that we've seen because they're talking about how they have a system of elimination that won't be denied which is a cool line, I think. And uh, you have DiBiase talking about Hercules. You have a, a scary close-up of the big boss man talking about hurting Hulk Hogan. You got some very good stuff here. Yeah, Gene Erklund, my favorite part is Gene Erklund asks, in a sincere tone, can the Red Rooster talk? <laughs> oh, sure, I can talk. No, shut up. Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is the, um, the Terry Taylor Red Rooster part of the gimmick where Heenan is managing, managing him, and Heenan basically... Uh, has no faith in him and is trying to micromanage him and kind of trying to prove that he can make a loser into somebody worthwhile. So it, it's a good fit for Terry Taylor, I think. So. Yeah, and they lay a little seed where uh, Bobby says something like he has nothing but confidence in him during the promo. So, <laughs> you know, we'll see how long that lasts tonight. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Bossman uh, says he's going to leave Hogan laying like the dog he is. <laughs> Don't don't leave dogs laying. Um, yeah. <laughs> dogs deserve better than Hulk Hogan, so be nice to the dogs. Oh man. Here's my one of my favorite things here. Um, as the heels are coming out, they're coming out to jive soul bro, which is one of my favorite themes of this era. And uh, I gotta shout out that song because uh, I, I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> Is that Akeem's music or someone else's? Like who's... It's like Slick's music, but okay. he uses it for his guys, so yeah. I didn't know what it was, but that's an interesting... Like, Akeem is... He makes no sense in this world. Like, number one, like, in both... Like, I don't know how one-man gang can also be Akeem just from the, like, look. But then Akeem says something in the promo that, does, that isn't funny and doesn't make sense. But, like, he laughs, so then, like, there's an era where all the heels laugh at the end of everything that they say. 
And I like I said, I, I, like, I rewound it too. I was like, okay, what do you say? No, still not funny. Still not even a joke. What's going on here? Uh, so I like how with Bossman is super serious and super like booked at this moment. Bossman kind of doesn't really acknowledge him much. It doesn't feel like. <laughs> no, not really. Um, I will say that I like Akeem as a gimmick probably more than One Man Gang because um, you got this delusional, gigantic white guy who's trying to act <laughs> some kind of way, and Slick kind of like put him up to it, and um, he certainly shows more personality in this yeah. era. Um, so you've got that going for him at least. <laughs> One Man Gang like can't really wrestle, and like there's no like there's no high, there's no lift in his jump, you know so. You can't have someone who has no lift in their wrestling or their gimmick at the same time. So he had to have something. So he just put some colors on him. And so far, he's ridiculous and he makes no sense. But somehow, that is a step above one-man gang already. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that's uh, it, it's something going for him anyway. Um, I'll take Akeem over the one-man gang because at least there's something there. Yeah. And then... You also got a red rooster on the team, so these are this is Survivor Series '88, folks. <laughs> it is, and uh, oh boy! So in the main event, when they're coming out, I talked about Jai Soul Bro. That's all good. When the baby faces come out, though, mm-hmm. it's the saddest thing to me because you've got Randy Savage leading, like he's with the with the group of four, like he's leading out the secondary group, kind of like the underlings. Um, and then Hulk Hogan gets to come out by himself and have, uh, you know, real American. And, yep. man, even if Hogan didn't make a move on Liz, like, what a move he's made on Savage's title reign already. So, yep. yeah. And he's not making moves on – every move he makes is on Randy Savage. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very fair way to look at it. But, hey, you know what? This is the tough thing for me to accept because as much as I love Randy Savage – I don't think I can say with any credibility that he's ever been more popular than Hulk Hogan in this whole yeah. time that we've been watching. So uh, as much as I can blame Hogan for all of his uh, scheming, and I do, even so, like if he's still the main event, if he still feels like the world champion, there's a reason for that. Yeah, I I, I think one thing I appreciate more than anything on this series so far is, is your integrity in this conversation <laughs> because I know how easy it would be not to, but... Yeah, every single time this is another one. Like the Hulk Hogan reception is in a different stratosphere than the uh, than the folks on his team. And Randy said, I'm enjoying Randy Savage's title reign, but in a way, Hulk Hogan is living up to the guy that's going to dominate, and and Randy Savage in a way is living down. And I don't mean that by he's not talented or he's not, but it's like the best he is doing is just standing his ground and clutching his belt. Like he he's almost become it seems like more conservative now that he's here. Like I don't know if it's like I don't know if I belong here. I'm afraid I'm gonna lose it, or I know that like I know who's who's coming for me even if I don't know it. But it really feels like Hulk Hogan is still expanding and growing, and Randy Savage is paralyzed with the world title. Yeah. Yeah, I, I said it when we're in that era. I'll say it again now. I don't think Savage ever burned as brightly as he did in 86 and 87 when uh, everything was kind of new and he was on his own. And now here he is in Hogan's shadow, a place he's never or uh, rarely going to get out of. Yeah. And yeah. you're right. Like, it casts a little shadow over the uh, blaze of Randy Savage, and he can't quite move the way he did before. 
Yeah, he's going to have some great moments where he's going to fly up the top rope. He's going to get quick pins. And a lot of times, folks, they're going to be served and assisted by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so Hulk Hogan is not even like behind the scenes. He is out in public orchestrating everything that's happening and that will happen. Yeah. I don't feel, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it, it, it's tough because I never Savage like he's gonna make his move as a heel, but as a babyface, I never see him doing something that makes me think he's trying to jump out ahead of Hulk Hogan. Um, no. I, I don't even know maybe what he could do. Maybe there was nothing, um, but yeah, like Savage never ultimately, and it hurts me to say this because I love Randy Savage, but he never really feels like a threat to replace Hulk Hogan the way you might think he would based on the narrative. I almost thought he, I thought I was, I thought I would enter this finding out that he was more of a threat than I imagined. And they did almost like they shoehorned Hogan back in. Uh, And that is not the fact I said it in the forums. Like I came to this series, especially for the eighties, like my whole motivation was I get to watch Randy Savage and he's been great. He's been as great, if not better than I imagined. Mm-hmm. And not for one second could I put him like above Andre or Hulk Hogan so far. Yeah, not in terms of like just the enormity of who they are. Like he's yeah. having the best matches of the three, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and at times he's the most interesting of the three. But in terms of just like the aura, the superstardom factor, he's just not quite there. Yeah. If you're running the promotion, your money's on the table. It's Hogan, Andre, Savage. Savage, you don't pick Savage uh, right now. Savage, I think Savage, of course, because Andre is, you know, starting to feel pain. He's on, like, you know, I think we know kind of his career will be over in the early 90s. But it's just, you got to be honest. And right now, not only is Hulk Hogan the more popular talent, but gimmick-wise, angle-wise, and even whatever else-wise, Hulk Hogan is running, like, strategic laps around a Randy Savage who oddly is standing still. Yeah. Like it's the oddest Randy Savage commentary. He's standing still. He's not moving. He this Randy Savage who we said surrounds four people by himself is being lapped by the strategic workings of Hulk Hogan. And maybe he's thinking it's inevitable because this is the guy who stood in that promo at WrestleMania and pretty much said Hulk Hogan should be world champion in the tournament. I'm going to win. Maybe he thinks it's inevitable or maybe he's scared and scared, scared Randy Savage is to clutch Liz, clutch the belt, clutch and hold everything close. Maybe he thinks that if he's just a good little Randy Savage and doesn't disturb Hulk Hogan, that at least he has to lose the world title to someone who's not Hulk Hogan for Hulk Hogan to enact this. But I want to tell you something. If you start to see around you nothing but clues that the thing around you does not have your best interest Standing still and waiting and being nice, you know, you can either die fighting or you can die standing there. And so right now, Randy Savage is dying standing next to Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, Hulkamania has really uh, engulfed him here and uh, all the movement in the world is not going to get you away from just this uh, cloud of influence that Hulk Hogan has. Like you said, Hulk Hogan is wearing his own gear. Randy (laughs) Savage is wearing the Mega Powers gear. So that. That tells you all you need to know right there. And um, it's funny because we say all this about Savage, and it's true, and yet he's still so far ahead of the next person, of whoever's number four, that I don't even know who it is. Like, no one else is even in that stratosphere with him right now. Not Warrior, not DiBiase, not anybody. 
No, absolutely. None of that is a takeaway. Not only is Randy Savage number three by a mile, but it's a world that probably should have only been Hulk Hogan, Andre, and and Randy Savage would have been lost in that, whoever's next. Mm -hmm. So everything that he's done, except figure out how to work Hulk Hogan, has been beyond anything you can imagine. But like for the rest of his life, I don't think he ever is going to learn how to work Hulk Hogan. And, you know, what do you do? Like Hulk Hogan, like we're going to talk about how paranoid, like, oh, Randy, the, the mega power exploded because Randy Savage is jealous and he's paranoid. Uh, I think that he should have ended this arrangement months before he did. <laughs> yeah. Like if you've been world champion and holding up a promotion while someone else is doing movies, you don't have to stand there while they say I have dominated this place for five years. You don't have to. You don't have to stand there and take it. When you put on trunks that say Mega Powers and the person next to you doesn't, that also means something. But yet, when you're not in the building, they need your manager who is not their manager because you're the Mega Powers. So Liz is on loan because you're the Mega Powers. But putting on a pair of trunks that says Mega Powers is too much work. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's tough because I think becoming like a Hulk Hogan sidekick is like you almost had no choice. Like if you wanted to get on this level um, and be world champion in this time, you had to be associated with Hulk Hogan in some way. Like there was no way to mm-hmm. get around it. If you weren't associated with Hogan, you wouldn't be in this spot. And yet this association in some ways will limit Randy Savage for like you said, for the rest of his career, rest of his life, maybe. Uh, that's such a good point, though, because I'm kind of critiquing him for not going hard enough. But the flip side of that is just as true is by being on defense and standing still, he gets to have a one year title reign and lose at WrestleMania. Whereas calling Hogan out earlier might have meant a six month title reign. Right. Yeah. Like the moment you call out Hulk Hogan, you mm. know, you're, you're on the road to, to losing the title, you know, so. That that's what he's doing, I guess. He's standing still until he can't still stand still anymore because all the stuff with Liz is going to happen. So yeah. this is a guy, this is a, a fire element who is trying to keep a lid on his fire, and we're seeing that uh, it's a little bit to his detriment for sure. Mm. Ah man, it's so good because all we've talked about is the motion of Randy Savage, and now we're talking about the fire, and also because somewhere in him he has to know. The very thing Hulk Hogan wants him to do is get that fire raging and blow his lid, and yet his whole career and talent is based on blowing his lid, but in this particular case, it might not be good for him, but not doing it also might not be good for him. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've said it from the beginning, that you, the, the strategy and just the what Hulk Hogan injects every word, every motion, and every function with purpose, and that purpose is to sow chaos for everyone else and the the order of Hulkamania for himself. Yeah, yeah, you can't get out of the the shadow of Hulkamania. It just can't be done. And it's so amazing. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the match now, but like we're gonna see two things happening. We're gonna see a Randy Savage who is who is clearly upset with Hulk Hogan at the end of the night. And yet, if all you do is watch them together, my God, look how good. Like, they are the only people almost in all Survivor Series, even in the 10-man tag, who are having so many, like, tags and tag team moves and tag team sequences together. You look at them in the ring, you're like, they're dominating and they're in they're in sync with one another. They're winning by God. Mm. So two, two stories playing out at the same time. 
Yeah, no, there's a lot that goes into this match beyond just, um, like, <laughs> you mentioned it, and this match is going to get uh, pretty crazy by the end. Like, some stuff is going to happen that probably say they should have just thrown the whole match out at some point. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're going to let it keep going. Here they'll let it keep going, not some other times, but here they will. So. <laughs> Good point. Oh, man. So, yeah, we'll get into the match. Um First note I have is that Savage uh, quickly eliminates the Red Rooster, which is uh, very thankful on my part. I'm not a Terry Taylor fan at all. And then we get Heenan uh, berating Terry Taylor, the man he had nothing but confidence in. So it's a little uh, view into what their relationship will be like. Yeah, could have been versus what it was in WCW was the difference between Michael Wall Street and Terry Taylor. And again, (laughs) he's just underwhelming and he's going like he should be. Uh, Savage DiBiase is a nice little return to their earlier 88 feud. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, we get Hillbilly going out, which is fine. We get Coco Beware going out, which is not fine. Uh, not he fine. does do a great job in here before he gets eliminated, so i got to praise him again. He does a drop kick off the top rope where it looks like he is standing on the chest of the person upon contact. Oh, man, the best missile drop kick probably ever, honestly. Yeah. Coco Beware, is that something that he can do? He is always on point with that move. It looks awesome. Yeah, is it a Kevin Sol? Is it a missile dropkick or is it Kevin Sullivan stomp? I don't know which one it is because, <laughs> dear God, where's he, is he coming from the top rope or is he coming from the ceiling? It is an excellent maneuver and is, again, uh, again, I said it from the beginning, the sandwich of Survivor Series 88 is the is high energy. It's Blue Blazer at the beginning of the show, and it's Coco Beware at the end of the show. Absolutely. They're both standouts. They both don't get enough credit for it on the show itself, so we're going to give them credit here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay. I'll say well, this. Oh, sa- um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I just Savage and Haku together was also intriguing. Oh, yeah, that was very good. Um, Hogan and Bossman do get in the ring together here, and, man, there's a huge reaction for that. You know, there's yes. a very good reason. This is a feud that will be one of Hogan's best-drawing feuds around the house show circuit, and he's not even champion for it. So um, it's crazy. Like, I would have to double-check, but it may be that Bossman and Orndorff were her, were his biggest, like, house show-drawing feuds, and you'd think it would be, like, Savage or, like, DiBiase or somebody, and uh, I, I can't say for sure, but definitely Orndorff and Bossman are in that conversation, and they're both awesome, so that is cool, in my opinion. It is. It is. It's what it's weird because when Hulk Hogan is on fire and it's working, he does the same thing. And then when it's like cold, it, the reaction he is him being indignant. Like again, like he can like he can burn the building down, and he's like, "How dare you not be in the building? I, I killed all those people to kill you, and now it's on your hands." Like, but it because Boss Man, I love Boss Man. He's so talented, but he's also kind of new and. He's doing great. He's like a like great gimmick, great abuse of power. But again, a lot of that fire also comes from the fact Hulk Hogan is so indignant. Like this is Andre again. Like his mentors walked off and never loved children. Like it's always getting the fans to this fever pitch that this is the most chaotic thing. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. There's never been a time that I needed to get my hands on somebody like I need to get my hands on this guy. You know, it's 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 the one. It separates Hulk Hogan, I think, from any babyface ever. Like. Even as a kid, knowing nothing, I would see Sting and be like, I kind of like him being a challenger the day after he won the belt. There's ne- this whole career, there's nothing else for him to do. Hulk Hogan's in, like indignant nature and whatever he stirs up in the pot 
allows him to always be on fire, allows him to always be pursuing, and it just works and it gets the fans just heated to see Hulk Hogan get revenge that half the time isn't really justly his to get. Yeah, that's one of my favorite um, unearthings of uh, this series so far is how big a factor that was in Hulk Hogan having this level of sustained success is that he is always challenging someone else. He's always pursuing someone else, uh, whether he's champion or not, you know, so it, it adds a lot and he's extremely good at it as well, because even though we kind of make fun, like it's sort of ridiculous a little bit that he puts himself in these bad situations or he's the instigator of something inappropriate. And yet he is just very good in this <laughs> era at convincing the fans that like, I am the wronged one. I am the aggrieved one. I am the one, you know, who needs to go out and get some righteous vengeance. And, uh, eventually it'll be kind of exposed to be, um, you know, we'll have uh, the butcher and all the dumb stuff in, uh, okay. WCW. Um, and even before that, but yeah, in this place, in this time, there's nobody better at it, and it's part of what makes him such an unbelievably huge star. It is, and it needs to be praised, too, because he's doing this. He's elevating himself and the brand while not being world champion. Mm. Yeah, no, there, he is. Yeah, and he's, like, again, I accidentally called him the world champion because he, he's putting in, there's not, like, there's not, there's not a 1% drop-off of effort from what he put in as world champion the way he's putting into this boss man feud. Absolutely not, and, you know, we will eventually see Hogan um, start to get lazy, and uh, I'm, I'm more than ready to call that out when it happens, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and, and the fans will catch up. Like It'll happen over time. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest moments in history, again, is when it, when he helps to pull Sid over the top rope because mm. like that's such a foul move, but all his life he's been doing foul moves, but the fans react wrong. <laughs> Man, it's crazy because if he had done that uh, three, four years before that, he probably could have gotten, he convinced everyone, it's, oh, Sid, that big stinky man, fell out on the ring on top of me, and how dare he do that? And, uh, you know, it would have just been, um, you know, Hogan's story, yeah. and it would have carried the day. It's the Randy Savage treatment. Like, he can sure. easily put that treatment on somebody, but it was, it was wearing thin, and the fans reacted differently. And the funny thing is, like, real life Hulk Hogan went to the back, and you know, had a fit that WWF framed him, pretty much set him up to look bad because they're trying to like bury him and build Sid. And so like, he had to take his, like the, that indignant uh, nature, like to the, to the reality based place because it had lost its like jurisdiction in the arena. <laughs> That's nuts. Like that wasn't the stuff that he'd been doing the whole time. So yeah. Bad, you know? That's bad. This is, these are fascinating things because we're watching in real time that right now, like he, He's he's uh pulled Randy Savage over the top rope unjustly like seven times and this feud hasn't even blown up yet and like there's not even there's not one fan in the building saying you know what that's not cool you know right so, yep absolutely and he, he like the biggest feud right now like I I you're kind of waiting for Hogan Bossman like even like Savage DiBiase I'm like oh it's cool they wrestled at WrestleMania four but like the heat and passion isn't really in the building for that yeah you know, the fans are there. To see Hulk Hogan and Boss Man, you know, throw fists. Sure. I mean, let me ask you this. Based on this pay-per-view, who is Randy Savage feuding with right now? Oh, dear God. Right, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Akeem, since they're both sidekicks for the people in the... <laughs> I That might be it, even though he's already wrestled one-man gang a few times. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just... Uh, 
you know, if if there's one thing that we can say in favor of Savage, um, standing still, like, where are his feuds? Like, where are the big feuds that Randy Savage can have? You know, yes. who's booking those feuds? So, I don't know, maybe I spoke a little too soon when I gave all credit to Hogan, and he does deserve credit for being such a big star, but there is an element of Randy Savage is on the back burner in the minds of the people who are doing the booking. Uh, if you run that big boss man angle with Randy Savage, does that feud like get super hot? Does that set attendance records? You know, maybe, I don't mm-hmm. know. We have no idea because Randy Savage didn't really give a chance to do it. So I'm a backtrack a little bit on my own words. I'm capable of changing my opinion. Um, I don't know if Savage could have overtaken Hogan, but I think uh, he is being shortchanged here now that I really come to think about it. Yeah, because they know he's turning heel from even when he wins the belt. So there is this kind of thing of like, why would you build super hot fuse when you kind of go out? So I, I understand that. I accept that. I also think, though, the one thing, the only thing I will say in return is Hogan and Bossman could have been either, like, th- like that doesn't necessarily have to be hot because, mm-hmm. like, it's, in a way, it's almost a gigantic fall off from, like, oh, you got Hogan Andre and so sustained for a long time. Now it's like Hogan and newcomer. So. I both think that it's fair to say that the booking kind of put more muscle into Hulk Hogan because he's going to be the babyface going forward. But it's also, I think Hulk Hogan is still making more out of what he gets than what he's getting. Yeah, and that's um, everything I said before in terms of that remains true. You know, Hogan put the fire into these feuds in a way that very few other people could do. But yeah, the more I think about it, like, Give Savage a chance. Like, yes. why, why, why does he have to feud with friggin' one man gang through two gimmicks, like through a whole year practically in the background? Like, that's not necessary. Yeah, and also you pick a lane. Like, either right, you know, let Savage have this great babyface title reign, you know, so that he has a chance, or maybe have him have big feuds where he's kind of doing dirty things here and there just to get by. You know, he's never fully dominating, so at least you can see, okay. Like he's got no narrative. Like I don't know who his opponent is. I don't know what his motivation is. I just know that he's he really is like sidekick, and he's got the trunks to prove it. Right. Yeah. Hercules has a much better defined motivation in this match than the champion does. So that's, that's sad. Yeah. Okay. So Hercules has DiBiase. Right. So is it? It's got to be Akeem or Haku, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it is Akeem, basically. Uh, But I think also he just doesn't really have, like, a feud going on right now, um, as evidenced by his trunks, so. It's also, I don't know, I don't know. I think this this is new information that is emerging, so I have to process it, you know. And what 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 would have been, and this is this is gonna be a great uh, for www.lopforums.com conversation in our thread uh, with the Legacy series is. Knowing Savage is likely going to turn heel and lose the belt at WrestleMania 4, how do you book him as strong as you can in the meantime? Like, what is the fairest, most opportune way to book Randy Savage? Like, what feuds, what moments, what direction, what themes? Like, how do you give this man every opportunity that you can? Yeah. No, that's a fair question. And uh, I don't know, the more I think about it, I would have loved to see Savage and Bossman have the same feud because I-, I think Savage could have made a lot out of that same feud. Um, you know, if he got handcuffed to the guardrail and beaten up and, uh, you know, Liz gets threatened and man, I don't know. I think people would be very hot for that, but of course we got to put Liz with Hogan half the time and we got to make sure he's got the feuds and man, like 
Savage and Hogan, they'll do very well. Like WrestleMania Five, I think will uh, do very good business, very big business. So it's not like it wasn't built up well. Obviously, it was. It's an iconic feud. But look at Andre. Before he turned heel, feuded with Hogan. He was feuding with Bobby Heenan and uh, Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy and all that. Like he had a bunch of things to be doing. You look at Paul Orndorff, and he had, like, a bounty on his head, and he was, like, fighting people off as a babyface, and he had all these things to do. So it works even better if you give this guy, like, a lot of things to do on his own before he comes in conflict with Hogan. But here, yeah, he's, like, third wheel to this uh, Hogan-Bossman feud, so it's not, um, it's just not the same. I agree 100% with that. And then I, I, I have a story to support the Bossman thing. Uh, but the only little thing I will say is also Hogan and Andre also, the, no matter what they're in, whether it's important or not, just them existing in it kind of elevates it. And I don't know if Randy Savage does that or not as a baby face. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as far as and we'll, Savage and Andre yeah. are fighting a few times here too, but they don't really get an angle really to kind of go off of. Andre is with Jake and, you know, it's like it's not a real feud. So, what does a real Savage Andre feud look like, and why maybe did we never get to see that? Maybe because they didn't like each other, maybe because they just wanted to do other things. I don't know, but like, I don't know. There were some options on the table, you know? Yeah, that damn baby doll. <laughs> <laughs> That's so yeah. weird, but yeah. It is so weird. But okay, I've got now, now I've got to speak some truth uh, in support of Randy Savage because I don't think, I think most people would say maybe one of the coolest, and I mean like not hot periods of WWF is around and Randy Savage at the same time is around 94. Randy Savage is like you said, is a full, fully dressed announcer with cowboy hat and, yeah. and sleeves cut off. And there's going to come a time that crush is going to betray Randy Savage yeah. and he's going to pick him up and he's going to like drop him kind of stun gun style on the, um, on the metal guardrail, the guardrail for the fans. And first of all, as a child, the word last, Lacerated. I was introduced because because he lacerated uh, Randy Savage's tongue or his mouth or his head or his or his cowboy hat or something. And but that word was just like penetrating when I learned it because like it was the worst thing that ever happened. Crushed, lacerated uh, Randy Savage. But YouTube sent me a video where in 1994 Crush is just coming to the ring to wrestle, and Randy Savage is in the booth. And Vince McMahon's in the booth, and they're trying, and Bobby Heenan's in the booth, and they're trying to say, you know, don't lose your temper, you're, you're a commentator. And Randy Savage, of course, jumps out of the booth, and Vince McMahon leaves the booth to contain him, and he, and Randy Savage comes down, and goes back, and it's like they're both going back, and then Randy Savage grabs Vince McMahon and hurls him to the ground and runs after Crush, and it's like. I don't like this feud. I don't like this time. Like in my mind, I don't like Randy Savage during this time. And I was fully captivated by the story, the heat, the Vincent man being shoved down. It's not even 1997, you know? So if you take that Randy Savage and that angle and, and you can still make me feel like that 1988 and what you're talking about with the boss man, uh, absolutely. That could have been fire. Yeah. So, um, even into 93, 94, like you're saying, like, it's clear Savage can do these things. They're just kind of not giving him things to do right now. And I think that is a, a fair criticism of their handling of Savage in this era. No, I think one of the great unearthed things is going to be Randy Savage could have been hot during that time because it really didn't feel like that because WWF wasn't doing that. And Bruce Pritchard is lying about that even in his, like, Bruce Pritchard's all, oh, Randy Savage said he wanted to work backstage. And I don't doubt he probably said that at some point, but 
Randy Savage wanted to work with Bret Hart. Apparently, Randy Savage wanted to have, I think, a two-year feud, and Michaels retire him at the end of it or something like that. Mm. I've got to look into that more. But when we get there, I'm really going to dig down because uh, I won't get into it now, but I think I will eventually. I got hit with three kind of videos in a row that followed the omens that Bruce Pritchard is the biggest liar in the existence (laughs) of liars. I was going to say, Bruce Pritchard lied? I, I'm yeah. so shocked. I'm amazed. Oh, man. And then uh, that, the, the, no, the do-nothing lap dog, who I don't know why he's even on the show with him, challenges nothing. But, you know, <laughs> I, one day I am going to break. I'm going to go back, and it's going to hurt me to do it. I'm going to watch the entire Lex Luger, uh, something to wrestle on the entire, I think, who was it? Uh, all Diesel one, and just, like, I'm going to break down the false bullshit narratives and how they're applied differently for different people and how they contradict each other and how they don't make sense. And then a TNA video came out where I don't know if it's John Cena who doesn't like Nick Aldis. Someone in WWF doesn't like Nick Aldis. And so Bruce Pritchard worked in TNA and he's asked about Nick Aldis in this video. And he says that Nick Aldis has never had it. He's not a wrestler. He, he's a play wrestler. Like he's pretending to be something like, oh, what's Magnus? And again, you know, what is Magnus? It's a bad gimmick. But then yeah, you uh, wrote it, like, dingus. All right. Yeah. And then he's like, well, have you watched him as NWA champion? And he's, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's playing NWA champion. This is what an NWA champion. And pretty much saying that Nick Aldis is just doesn't have talent and like, fuck you. Fucking bullshit. But number one, like, here he is talking out both sides of his mouth because, like, oh, his big argument is, like, you need – like, Stone Cold, well, he was Steve Austin, but only exaggerated. But on the fucking Diesel video, you said that the reason Diesel didn't work is because they made him Kevin Nash and he needed to be a gimmick and not a person. And now you're saying that the only thing that works is being an elevated ver- version of the person. So he's fucking lying all the time, talking out both sides of his mouth. And, you know, I say that because I have always saw that Randy Savage – like, it's always blew my mind, like – how could Randy Savage be successful in WCW? But he was 75 years old in 1994 in the booth and always sucked. Well, guess what? I think that thing is going to get overturned so hard that it might shake the earth like Hulk Hogan uh, body slamming somebody in the 1980s. Because I am fucking fed up with some of this bullshit. Oh, yeah, though. I mean, hopefully that's not even a real unearthing that Randy Savage was put on the bench way too early. Yeah. Like, everyone should know that. This is a guy who's having... Some of the best matches um, of the year at WCW in 1997 and three, four years before that. Yeah, like supposedly he couldn't do anything anymore. So huge, huge mistake, obviously, on the case of Vince McMahon. It is something, though. You see it with Flair when he loses his confidence. Like when you're watching in real time and you watch someone who's great be reduced, you start to feel like they themselves are reduced and they're not being reduced. Mm, Yeah. So it's sad, but again, this is the fun, one of the great fun things that I signed up for was following Randy Savage from like 85, 86, all the way through uh, his end in WWF. So, so it's a hell of a thing to see. Uh, so many chapters to go. Right now, he's the world champion, by God. And, you know. <laughs> for all that's worth, uh, the story yeah, is all- not about him, though. Even the camera is not on the ring. Like, once Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan is going to get handcuffed by the boss man on the floor and, and then like we don't even need a ring <laughs> camera as the world champion is wrestling in the match at the time yeah I got a lot more hogan notes than savage notes here so it is what it is um getting back to the match i think we're good to go back right yeah absolutely. all right cool <laughs> we do have hogan and boss man hogan slams the big boss man 
And Jesse Ventura cuts into his own credibility by saying it was a 450-pound slam. Mm, yeah, okay, not really, but moving on. No, no way. Um, what I like about this is the slam, which felled Andre. Bossman, you know, he doesn't no-sell it, but he's back up a little bit later, and he's spine-bustering Hogan, and it looks uh, probably more impactful than the slam did. Yeah, I agree. That slam was, you know, beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, absolutely. That's fine, but oh, that's fine. Buster was one of the one of the top things on the show. Oh, absolutely! Like he's up there with Arn. People don't talk about Big Boss Man nearly enough in general, uh, or about his Spine Buster. It's a damn good Spine Buster. Yeah, it's the old sidewalk slam. Ron Simmons does it too, and it's it's so impressive. <laughs> like it's just because it, it in a way. It can come out of nowhere more than like the spinebuster. You got the you like you you have to turn your body and go around. This one is just up and down, and you you catch and drop. And Bossman is so smooth and all of that, and especially at 450 pounds, my God, he's smooth. Mm, for sure, it is more of a Simmons one because with Arn, like he's taking the whole body down, and it, what I love about it is like it's so flat, you could like set a level on it. Um, mm. It's like a perfect flat attack. But the, the Simmons boss man style is like you bring the guy up and then you're almost just sh- pushing him down with one hand. And it's like a totally different dynamic, but it's equally awesome. Yeah, it's a different move because they're coming down to on the side. You pick them up, whereas the spine buster, you're turning around and dropping them. Yeah, for sure. Different variations on a great move. I love yeah. spine busters. And it, this one really, because later on it's going to be part of the set and it's still nice, but you know it's coming. This thing, I like it. I, I would have to go back and watch to see how it, how it ended up in, in that sequence. Yeah, no, it blasts out of nowhere, for sure. Um, we do get Hercules fighting with DiBiase, and that's a few we're definitely going to talk more about. Uh, here it's sort of on the sideline, but we already know there's a great uh, inciting incident to set it up. And I want to say again, I really praise this era for having great inciting incidents for their angles uh and also criticize them again because obviously they could have done it for savage if they wanted to uh, yeah. but uh we get dibiase pinning hercules after a distraction and then uh, hercules beats up virgil which lets savage roll up dibiase as well so those two go out together pretty much yeah this is it gets chaotic and then it gets that everybody has their own limits for me I think Miss Fans already said best match should have been thrown out because it just it gets to a point where it's not a match anymore. Yeah, it gets a little nuts. So in our air finishing sequence, which is quite lengthy, we have the Mega Powers. They're left two on three against Haku, Bossman, and Akeem, which is a very imposing team. But uh, if that wasn't enough, we have Slick getting physical with Liz, pulls her away from ringside. Hogan abandons his corner to go beat up Slick and defend uh, Elizabeth, which is also foreshadowing things to come. But uh, the the big turn in the match is Bossman attacks Hogan and handcuffs him to uh, one of the ring ropes while he's standing out on the floor. Um, and I, I love the referee doesn't even disqualify Bossman for this. He counts him out. He gives him one of those fast count outs. Okay. So not even worthy of disqualification that he is handcuffing Hulk Hogan. No oh, man, it's, yeah, the way people get eliminated in this, and they don't have the bells ringing or the like. Sometimes you don't know if people have been eliminated or not, and you know you're guessing probably so, but that's almost you're guessing out of story, but not really out of reality. And so it's just like, okay, you got counted out. He didn't get disqualified. Plus, 
we're not going to try to get Hulk Hogan not handcuffed. I don't know if they have two referees still. If so, the one on the outside is not doing much. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I actually like how chaotic this is, um, but it does open up kind of some plot holes, some question marks about, yeah, like what what was everybody thinking in this time? But, man, like the, the chaotic energy of the scene I think is still very compelling because a lot is happening in like a very short span of time, and it is dynamic and it's something a little different than what you would normally see. Yeah, I'm, I'm not against chaos. I just... I don't know that it's a match at this point. I, you really are not. There's no – Randy Savage is wrestling. I was going to say Dino Bravo, but it's not Dino Bravo. No, uh, who, right? Yeah, so Randy yeah, – but nobody's even watching. You know, like, oh, you're sure. not watching the ring. And, again, there's a double sword to that. So, like, the chaos is good, but not only does it kind of belittle the match, who is it, again, belittling, which is the heavyweight champion, you know, who is, right. you know, a sideshow here. And Hulk Hogan – I, let, let me find out Hulk Hogan ever breaks the handcuffs. You know, I don't know that he ever does that, but let me find out that he does because part of me felt like he could have just broke it, but like there was a better way to go about like getting out of the handcuffs for Hulk Hogan for this context and moment. Yeah, you could be right about that. Um, after Bossman is counted out, he does beat up Hulk Hogan with the nightstick, maybe preventing him from uh, breaking the yeah. handcuffs. So we'll, we'll give him that, maybe. Uh, Bossman just just will not leave after he is counted out. He goes in the ring and he helps Akeem beat up Savage until Akeem uh, finally gets disqualified for all this um, outside interference, I suppose. So you get a weird scenario where it's two-on-one, the Mega Powers versus Haku, uh, and yet the heels still have the advantage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've got Haku in there, you still got Heenan out there, which I appreciate. I thought this was the first event... They would not have a main event with Heenan in it, but I was wrong. Mm-hmm. We still have never had a pay-per-view that didn't involve Heenan in some way in the main event, so there you go. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to keep telling, but what were you going to say? No, I, um, it's just I think what, I, what bothered me is the fact that I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to preserve Akeem and Bossman, so you know neither of them really lost. Right. You know, but then again – it's also a pay-per-view in Survivor Series, so something has to, you know, be lost. So then you end up in this weird thing where it's like, oh, Haku whooping, like, all the baby faces, and they can't do anything about it. And, you know, like <laughs> they're fighting Haku, back. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but they're fighting from under, even when, even though when it's not just – so they have a bunch of things they want to accomplish, and I'm not sure that you can just logically accomplish all of them. That's fair. There's definitely some awkwardness uh, here. Uh, even though overall I, I did enjoy this, um, there's some weirdness, so I'll let you make your own decision if you're watching along with us. Um, the story continues. Slick is hanging around ringside to taunt Hulk Hogan with the handcuff keys, which uh, predictably he will come to regret. Uh, Haku ends up hitting Slick by mistake. He is knocked out. Keenan runs over, and I really like this. He runs over, and he's immediately uh, clobbered by a handcuffed Hulk Hogan. Mm. Um, we get Liz. All down with Slick. Yep, yep, I love it. Liz, uh, very tentatively, with a lot of uh, encouragement needed, very timidly, finally <laughs> retrieves the keys from uh, Slick's jacket, and she uncuffs Hulk Hogan. And then, <laughs> this maybe speaks to the weirdness that you were talking about, Hulk Hogan doesn't storm the ring and uh, burn everything down like you'd think he would. He just, like, goes over to the corner, and he waits for his tag, so... Maybe that tells yeah. you uh, the mindset and the goal 
of Hulk Hogan here. Yeah, it's standing there while Savage again continues to look weak. You know, and then who's going to look strong? And everything Hulk. I think what I do like about this, so let me talk, because Boss Man, Boss Man is with his actions what Hulk Hogan is with his rhetoric, which is just like, you know, he just seeks and destroys and seizes and won't go away. He doesn't go away. He just keeps bothering. And so Hogan's, Hogan's getting something in Boss Man. Like, Hogan kind of, Hogan's kind of running this strategic show on everybody else. But Bossman ain't really in that. Like, I don't think part of his plan was let Bossman come back four times and beat me with the nightstick. You know, <laughs> Bossman is is about it when it comes to like just getting Hulk Hogan and putting a hurting on him. Mm, yeah, uh, and it, it doesn't speak a lot, maybe to Bossman that he does all this attacking on Hogan, and yeah, he does come back. He gets the hot tag, he gets the win, his music plays. So, um. Yeah, there's a weird dynamic going on, for sure, in a number of ways. Yeah, so the the Mega Powers were always going to win. They eventually do win. And, you know, it's time to celebrate. Except Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan's posing already, and Randy Savage like can't even gather himself because he's so beat up. So Liz is checking on him. And somehow, I guess Hulk Hogan could do something for him that Liz can't, so she goes to tap Hulk Hogan on the shoulder, I guess, to get Hulk Hogan to look at Savage. And Hulk Hogan thinks the tap on the shoulder means, like, pick her up and swing her around. Randy Savage finally comes to his senses. He looks up and, like, I'm beat up and maybe bloody. And, oh, there's Hulk Hogan and Liz, like, swinging around in, in the middle in the middle of the ring. And you get the first uh, look on the face of Randy Savage that says that this thing is over one day or another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. It's not uh, a huge mystery why Randy Savage would turn on Hulk Hogan. So, <laughs> nah. Seeing him finally realize that a little bit. It will be because say Hulk Hogan's gonna be wide-eyed and what did I do? <laughs> I was just trying to help, you know. And everybody's gonna be like, that's what I saw too. He was just trying to help. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, yeah, that brings us to the end of uh, the second Survivor Series. I, was, I, I like the show a lot. Um, Maybe slightly less than the first one, with all things considered. But uh, it's got some really good stuff. It's got that big tag match. Um, yeah, what did you think overall? I really like the show. Um, it, it, there are, I think, there are several matches where they could have trimmed some of the things, but it's almost a charm to that, knowing again that we're going to be one day we'll never have this again. So, right. uh, the new talent, the kind of influx nature of it i think it's a very important show and i think it's one definitely worth checking out absolutely so so that is the end of survivor series 1988 we'll be covering i think our last show in 88 next time saturday night's main event uh we have ultimate warrior intercontinental title defense we have virgil versus hercules which will be Mm. interesting we have randy savage defending that world title against andre the giant with wow. no Hulk Hogan in sight, um, it'll be an interesting show. Yeah, it's a chance. Like, Randy Savage is getting everything that we asked for. <laughs> well, except the hot angle that uh, yeah. really kind of makes all the difference, but uh, that's okay, you know. The the angle with Hogan will be big, um, so we'll have that at least. Yeah, that sounds like a fun show, so I'm looking forward to watching that for next week. Should be interesting. Uh, definitely we'll have some bonus content as well. We will let you know what that is as we get closer and we decide for ourselves. So, all right. Anything else you want to go over before we call it a day here? Nah, that's it. 
All right. Thanks so much for listening. If you ever want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, as mentioned by my learning colleague, www.lopforums.com. You can navigate there through that whole URL or through WrestlingHeadlines.com. Join the conversation. We have some great stuff to talk about. Definitely not least is all the other great programs on LOP Radio. A lot of great wrestling content for those who are interested. So that is everything. We will be back with the end of 1988 and what a year it has been. I will be one year old soon when we get into uh, 1989. (laughs) So uh, the era will continue on. Absolutely. Is that that? That is that. Take us home, my friend. Awesome. Until next time. Don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about that? And white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared the undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature